0: search of tracks podcast my name is pete my name is bob hello bob
1: how are you today i'm good pete i am good i am good i uh you know it's sort of one of those times where you gotta truck through things you know like keep your head down keep moving try to find the small joys. And and I kind of alluded to this when we were doing some pre-show texting, like as we normally do, like, hey, we still good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, man. There was a part of me that was like, maybe we push. We, you know, pulling back the curtain. We got a ton of stuff recorded. We're really good. We, 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 (laughs) but, but, Yo, it feels good. It feels good to just go. Nah, I'm gonna power through. I'm do this. So, uh, this in search of tracks podcast recording was the light at the end of a very long tunnel of a day. How how are you though?
0: I feel that it's like it's kind of like going to the gym. You know, you wake up, you're like, I don't want to do this at all right now. Yeah. But then you go, or you go to that yoga class, or you go on yeah. that run, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then you leave, and you're like, you know what? That was awesome. I might do that again tomorrow. No, it's
1: it's it's uh you know, usually you guys hear us from us about our snacks or our our secret things and food. Yo, uh, this is the wisdom of Pete and Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it it is worth it to do the thing that is gonna make you feel better in the long run over the sacrifice of eh, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it is a terrible feeling. And when you vex yourself of it, you feel good that you vexed yourself. And when you lean into it and you don't feel like it, yo, I'm all about sloth here and there. Pick your spots and don't let the sloth control you. You control the sloth.
0: Yeah, man. It leads you down a bad path. (sighs) Bad. You got to do the damn thing.
1: Do the damn thing and uh, leading into that – Eat your vegetables, go to the gym, get your, get your exercises out. We've had some uh, abhor- abhorrent weather of all types uh, over these past few months. Not, not my favorite time of year. Um, but Pete, have you had any recent delicious snacks?
0: Um, my wife made an apple crisp last Ooh. night, and I had Ooh. that with vanilla ice cream, and it was great. Well, we, we, we were watching a shitty movie so the apple crisp really did the job cuz if you're watching a shitty movie at least you have a good snack, you no, know?
1: You 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 basically introduced me to this idea uh bad movie, great snack. <laughs> I think it's uh, what is we we there's a um like a bad movie uh what's a d word that's for good uh, um, here's, bad movie damn good snack so it's like good. it's like a flip on bdsm it's uh <laughs> bmds uh that works so, uh so that's that's what we got for you folks um i have been and this has kind of been a weird on and off pete i uh there was a moment in my life some years ago where I thought I fell off pumpkin pies completely. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, texture's kind of weird. Sometimes I must've had a couple bad ones.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is bad pumpkin, like none of it's that bad, Mm -hmm. but you put a really great piece of pumpkin pie next to just like your mediocre kind of run of the mill pumpkin pie. Yeah. They're they're different worlds, man.
1: Different worlds. So, um, so yeah, been 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 on that jam. Uh, whip, Are you doing dude,
0: vanilla ice cream? Whip no, man, cream, uh, just whip cream, just whip cream? just whipped cream. Just whipped cream. Just whipped cream. All right. Cream. So,
1: uh, so this is a weird thing. I will do for sure. Do ice cream with warm pie. You know what okay. I mean. Ice cream with like a cold pie. I'm not. I don't know. I, it's like a does not compute. Okay. me. I, I get it. I get why people like it. Um, yo, in a, what, what was I gonna ask? Oh, this is so weird. Who did I see do this? Um, oh, I, I don't know. We'll get we'll get back we'll at some you. point to cream as a breakfast thing on top of like <laughs> foods that don't make sense. It's like, oh, you pour milk over cereal. Okay, what if you just poured heavy cream all over some fruit? Nah, That's man. weird, but. I've now witnessed that. So I've seen um, that too. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Um, Pete, what are we doing today? What are we talking about? So we're going to go back in time again Mm. to the It Came From New Jersey days. Hell yeah. And we're going to talk about New Jersey. We do love New Jersey still. And I still love talking about New Jersey bands and the great Mm -hmm. state of New Jersey in general. But today we're going to talk about a special band called The Screaming Females. Yes. And their album Power Move. Yes, which we reviewed for the previous version iteration of this podcast called mm. "It Came from New Jersey." If you probably
1: from, about a year ago, dude, I'm I'm about to pull it up just for just for. I think it was um, longer than a year ago. Yo, a you you're, you guess the date. Go ahead, guess the date. Guess the date.
0: Uh, October fourth, twenty twenty-one. September twenty-third, twenty
1: twenty. Wow. Yeah, buddy
0: i was way off
1: (laughs) yeah yo that's a long time ago uh hopefully for the people who were with us then uh you enjoy it but we have uh upgraded moved up and we have a much bigger bus these days um so uh if you've never heard us talk about this please enjoy we're gonna have it play after this as we've been doing with these redux um episodes I did re-listen. I'm I'm assuming you also did the re-listen, which is kind of our method. This is a good record. It's good. It's good. I think the first song, which I believe is called Bell. Yes. The first song is called Bell. I think this yeah. is like we 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 talk about it, but we haven't been revisiting and we will be, or maybe we already have, actually the title of this podcast is in search of tracks because we are looking for tracks. That name also played into the way we do these, our current rating system. How high are the highs? I think that this record, the song bell and the song adult army Mm -hmm. are tracks. I think they're really good. I think this, this band has other tracks scattered across their discography Um, This record kind of sticks to me a little more. I love it when it's this kind of fun, big sounds, booming parts. My favorite parts are, as I mentioned, Bell. I think it's fuzzy and tuneful. Um, The singer's voice is really unique, has kind of this deep, unique, kind of haunting tone. Um And it's just, it's cool. It's cool. It has this kind of indie rock meets power pop, some like angular punk energy throughout it.
0: But maybe Sonic Youth, Dino Jr. kind of fuzziness. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. My least favorite parts sonically are when they get really harsh and discordant. Okay. They don't do it very often. And it's almost like it's stylistic choice that I'm like, oh, okay. Like, all right, they're doing this because I think they're trying to show like, hey, we have our roots in this underground music world where we were playing living rooms and basements and, you know, small places and houses across central New Jersey, (laughs) you know. Um, And we've worked our way up to the, you know big clubs selling out in new york city and other places across the country yeah so um yeah i I, so it's like oh sonically this is a thing i don't love but on the other side i like it as a decision uh so yeah no i i upon re-listen i enjoyed it since we did this which was you know a little over two and change years ago um I haven't reached for it, but mm-hmm. the second I put it on, that guitar on Bell pulls me in. Really like it. Uh, Didn't find myself captivated by much of the rest of the record, but there's some real high points. And I think somebody who's looking for a sample of what, like a more contemporary feel on indie rock, or like like you mentioned those bands you were saying, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., like. What is a band who you could say, hey, if you like those bands, check this out without it being some cosplay or reenactment of what those <laughs> bands did? Right. Screaming Females are a really good place to start.
0: Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you covered a lot of territory. I I have a lot. A lot of my thoughts are similar to yours. I'll say. Sorry I'll say, for the ramble. Uh, no, it's all good. I'll say this, though. So. You come to me and say, Pete, do you like the Screaming Females? Yeah, I like the Screaming Females. I'm pro Screaming Females. Same. Um, they're a band that I I want to win. I'm really happy that they have been successful in, in what they're doing. Hell yeah. I'm glad to see them playing big shows. I'm glad to see them still putting records out. Um, this was, I think, their third record. Um so. But they have put out a lot of records since. Um, although I think they're overdue. 2018 was the last record. Yeah, but-
1: I, I know. Good point.
0: Um, every time they put a record out I'll check it out usually there's tracks I'm never bowled over by the whole thing if I'm being honest Um, and Power Move is no exception but I'm with you in that there are tracks all over the place Uh, Bell for me is a big standout it's like actually kind of an earworm it got stuck in my head as I was kind of re-listening to this Um, I I like the vibe Um, I can't for me personally, I don't love their artwork, but I do love the consistent aesthetic of it. Um, I think (laughs) it's like, I'm, I'm with the theme, but it's just, it's not my, uh, it's not something I'm going to put on my wall, you know, but like, I like that. I think Marissa does all the artwork. It's like very DIY style. She does her own thing. It's super cool. So I'm, 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 I'm with it. I'm again, pro screaming females. Um, I think the only other thing I'll say is just, um, I don't know. I I think they've, and there are going to be screaming females out there, fans out there that maybe hate me for this, but Mm. I feel like they have like a nearly perfect record in their future. Like they've been doing this long enough. Yeah, Yeah. They've been doing this long enough. They're like, Throughout the Screaming Females catalog, in my opinion, there are like two to three tracks on each record that if all of those songs were on the same record, it would be fucking awesome. So I'm really curious about what's next for them because I think like they have a, a an A plus like nine slash ten out of star record in the future that hopefully we can review. Um, but this record, yeah. Um put it on, really stoked on the first song. There were moments throughout, but, and it never, you know, I'm never lost. Like, there's nothing on it I, like, really dislike. It just kind of washes over me. It doesn't have much of an effect on me. You're
1: you're circling this huge idea, and I'm so happy you did, because I I tried to pinpoint it, too, and I, I didn't. They have songs that hint at this, like, immaculate perfection of a sound that is sort of unique, but familiar, right? Yeah. And, like, if I'm being honest, it's someplace between Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth and the yeah, 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 and like
0: a Sleater few, Kenny, like yes, all these different things. Yes, yeah. Oh my God.
1: Great pull. These kind of desperate, disparate parts that come together, and it's like, whoa, this is really cool. So, um, but I feel the same. This record only suffers because I think that first song is so, like, oh, damn, this is it. Yeah. And then the rest of the record is very good and a couple real high points. But for 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 me, and I, I, it sounds like for you as well, the rest of the record isn't as as high level as the first song, which is no diss to them. They have huge tracks all over the place. So as you said, um, I agree. I think they might have an, a record in them that speaks to us even more so. So for sure, uh, for sure. I kind of look forward to that. I think that's, that was a good way to put it.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, last thing I'll say, I guess last two things, the production on their records has only gotten better. And I think the production on this just takes me out a little bit. Um, so that's a piece of it. And then the other piece is, I know that I mentioned this on the original episode, but I've seen them a few times. Dude, they're a live band. Like they kill live in this way that just I think they've gotten better at translating it translating it onto record. Um, but they certainly hadn't dialed in dialed it in, in in my opinion on this record. Um, they've gotten closer, but like still, whenever I see them, they demolish live. And like that's not a diss in any way. Like, I think Nirvana are a live band. Where, like, mm. if I listen to Nirvana, I'm listening to live at Wishka. I'm not listening to Nevermind. I think yeah. that they just delivered live in this way that they never did on record. But, like, I think screaming females is 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 in that genre of of bands that like, if I were seeing them all the time in a New Brunswick basement when this came out, I bet this record would track with me a lot more uh, because I didn't, man. you know, just it, imagine it doesn't. that
1: the energy that's probably it's probably such a good pulsing small room energy. And for sure, Yo, know, uh, if you were someone who was there for that time or, or has gotten to have really cool, intimate live experiences with this band, holler at us, let us know your experience because that's cool. Um, Pete, before we're going to get into the episode here, you want to do our quick uh, re-listen rankings because we hadn't done it prior. Let's do it. Holistic quality out of 20. How good is this record on a high level? I said 13 out of 20.
0: Okay. I went with 11.
1: Okay. Highs out of 10. I gave it a 6.
0: Same. I gave it a 6.
1: Lows out of 10. I gave it a five. I don't think it ever really falls. The bottom never falls out for me.
0: The bottom doesn't fall out for me, but it just doesn't affect me. So I'm yep. kind of in the middle. I went with a four.
1: Okay. Drag fact. Uh, I'm sorry. Competency or peer review. How well is this played? How does it stand up against their peers and or against the rest of their catalog? Uh, I gave it a seven. I think it's pretty strong. I think their high points really pull it up to me, though. I have listened to a few of their newer releases, and you know this is going way back. And I, their newer albums may even be stronger releases. So,
0: I think their newer albums are stronger, um, and I think they've only you know as they got bigger, they kind of affected that world more. So for this mm-hmm. record, I gave it a five
1: cool i give it a i think i said i give it a 7 yeah. if i didn't i give it a 7 drag factor out of 10 how much does this record drag
0: um again i guess it it doesn't so much drag for me as not really affect me um mm-hmm. so i went with a 4
1: yeah i think that's kind of what i felt as well i don't think it drags It's just got a high point and then lulls, and there's a few other peaks, but it doesn't. It doesn't. uh, I I don't engage with it the whole time, so it's a five for me. Yeah. Um, I did on flow say I thought it moved pretty well together, though it isn't. You know, it's not choppy. It's not like it's a singles record, um, but I thought it flowed relatively well. Six out of ten.
0: Yeah, I think it flows. It flows okay. It just like. There's certain songs that kind of work together. There's certain songs that just feel like it wouldn't have made a difference where they were on the record. So I just kind of split the difference and went with a five. Great.
1: Aesthetic out of 10. Pete, go for it.
0: So uh, I kind of already expressed my thoughts here. So I went with a four.
1: Um, I went with a five out of 10. Uh, I like some of the colors, the imagery doesn't uh the kind of figure rendering mm. isn't my style but I also like the uh, consistency of certain themes so five. sure impact and influence Pete I'm kind of nowhere on this I feel like they have both a lot of influence and not as much as they should I gave yeah. it a 5
0: Yeah I gave it a 6 similar reasons I I think that there's a lot of people that were really really affected by this band and probably still like ride hard for this band that we just do not, we're not in those circles. That's uh, so give right. so, six. So, yeah. yeah,
1: that's right. Um, and the intangible, etc. And this one, I have to give a, an asterisk with, there's some longing for me because this is a band I'm still waiting to have my personal moment with mm-hmm. like so many people that to be honest, one step removed from me have had, um, whether it was the live show and being around for their formative time, et cetera, et cetera, or just a couple of records that really hit, um, I'm still waiting for that. I gave it a four.
0: Similar reasons, gave it a five. All right,
1: uh, my total score was a 56, and I think it should be noted as a glowing 56.
0: I gave it a 50. Perfect, and I think Very that good. feels that feels right
1: well uh we hope that everybody sticks around and listens to our full breakdown uh what we sounded like a few years back and uh, I think it's a pretty good one actually Pete are we also gonna tag on we did a bonus episode with Joe Steinhardt uh, friend of the room who does Don Giovanni records Yep. and he goes in depth I think so we should do both of those right we're gonna tag both of them on, both of them on hell yeah enjoy everybody tracks pod fam forever. Welcome to It Came From New Jersey, a podcast about music from New Jersey. Uh, My name is Bob, and I am one of your hosts.
0: And my name is Pete. I'm uh, your other host.
1: How's it going, Pete?
0: It's going well. Um, You know, I was just talking to you about, uh, I was playing my drums before. I was trying to get back into the double kick pedal, and... uh, (laughs) it's not it's not going as well as i uh i had hoped really well so
1: let's let's talk about this real quick uh we are a music podcast and all that what with playing the drums is it like riding a bike can you just take a break and then jump back in or does it feel like or is it more like it's like riding a bike but at one point you could do BMX trip, tricks and now you can still pedal, but like, you're not bunny hopping over over the the median.
0: Yeah, I don't really think it's like riding a bike. Um, at least, <laughs> good, not good. For, at least not for me. I mean, it's the kind of thing where if you're not like in like the right shape for it, it just you're not able to do the things that you were once able to do. Like, um. You know, I I don't think I was ever very good at using a double kick pedal, really. Right. But I definitely, like, lost that ability and kind of have to relearn it now, you know? And I know, like, I know in terms of, like, what I'm supposed to do to make it work. And, like, I know what I want it to sound like. I just, like, physically can't make it happen yet. And I think it's a matter of, like just getting back in shape to the point that I can do that, you know? So like, yeah, it's kind of different.
1: Well, and I think a part that's really different is the, you were there once, you know, there, you know how to do it vaguely. Yeah. But capability changes. And so if you aren't able to, man, there's a little level of frustration there. It's I Frustrating. I, uh,
0: Cause I know, mm. I know exactly like what I'm supposed to like, like, how it feels to accomplish the thing, but I like can't get there, you know? So, Oh yeah. I don't oh, know. Yeah. My, my neighbors are going to fucking hate me, but you know, I'll get there.
1: <laughs> well, uh, we normally save this to the end of the episode, but, uh, I want to thank everyone who has been checking out the, the podcast so far. It's been really fun. Uh, you can email us at,
0: it came from NJ gmail at gmail.com and follow us on social media at, uh, it came from NJ Pod on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Perfect. You can find us as well. Very cool. So uh, we we are talking
1: double kick, um, but but that's not really the energy of today's artist. Uh, not really. I don't think. Right? No, it definitely isn't. No, I, I, I know a little more more stripped down on the drumming side of things here with <clears throat> the band Screaming Females and the record Power Move. Um, which came out in 2009 on Don Giovanni Records, which is a you know, um, additionally notable because it's a label based in New Jersey. Uh, while I, I know they work with bands who are not from New Jersey, I think that's kind of their bread and butter. So, yeah. um,
0: really cool. Um, Absolutely. Fun fact: Screaming Females. What's just, that? Just to throw this in there, I was actually on Don Giovanni number two. Whoa! Wait, what was that? That was a uh, kamikaze, the seppuku seven inch. That's number two. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. I All don't right. know what number one is. I should, but I don't. <sighs> I know. Yeah. We'll, we'll dive
1: into the annals of, uh, Don Giovanni's disc- discography at some point. That actually be fun to do some record label New Jersey based record label episodes. Maybe maybe sometime we'll get there.
0: I mean great super prolific record label. Um I think now based out based out of Chicago, but um mm-hmm. but we can call it a Jersey label for sure. Oh, oh I think I think they would be very happy to have that
1: yeah. that tag. Um stay with them. So Screaming Females <clears throat> What I know, what I don't know, and what I went into this going with. Um, Stream Females are a band who I've been familiar with, know a handful of songs, but know full albums really well, and thought this was a fantastic reason and motivation to, to do a dive. Uh, they are from New Brunswick, New Jersey, um, like many, many other bands. Uh, have been around, I want to say, since... Uh, 2006 or 7 something like that they've been around 2005 actually wow um, but this is their first um, first record that was released on a, a major album major you know on a, 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 a this is their first non self released record we'll call it that um, I guess it's their third proper full length but it's the first one that really caught my attention uh, I think it you know for lack of a better term, it made a little bit of hay. People were noticing it. It got kind of picked up and and uh, caught some attention. Certainly caught my attention um, to the fact that I think I own it on vinyl, but as mentioned, it's just one of these records I never sat with and gave the attention I would have liked to. So um, this was cool to be able to do that. Uh, even though um, coming out, I, I didn't... I didn't feel the way I wanted to feel after listening because this is a band who I like and really want to like more than I do. So uh, before I keep rambling, Pete, (laughs) your experience with Screaming Females and this record, Power Move.
0: So somewhat similar to you, um, I've never actually owned any of their albums, um, but they're definitely a band that... I've heard a lot about for a long time. Um, not only just because I think they've been kind of unavoidable, um, you know, playing, they like nonstop touring. I feel like this band is constantly playing regardless of where you live in the United States or Europe or wherever. Um, but you know, definitely familiar with them also because of the Don Giovanni association, the New Jersey association, all that stuff. So, um, I've seen them live. They totally kill live. Um, really fantastic live band. Um, but for some reason, you know, I never really um, bought an album. I I think I, I listened to Ugly when it came out. I listened to I forget the name of the newest record. Um uh All at Once. All at Once. I listened to that when it came out. Um but honestly, you know, and not to give away too much, but for me, they were kind of always a live band. Like if they play, I'll go see them. Um, but it's not the kind of thing that I, you know, like will bliss out to at home, really. Um, but killer band, um, yeah, that's yeah, what I got. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Um, a question for you though, real quick is: Yes, this album of all of them, why did you pick this one? I guess because it was the first one that I became.
1: Aware of, and it was the record that I remember being like, "Oh, okay, this is kind of, this is on radar." And you know, it's funny when that happens because sometimes it's actually the band and the profile being raised, mm-hmm. and other times it's you. You know, other times it's your antenna went up a little higher than they had previously been. Um, and I think it's a little mix of both here. I do think this record had a decent profile. Like, I think this record. Um, sort of, sort of like moved them into a bigger space than they had been previously, and was at the start of them moving from being kind of the New Jersey, New Brunswick basement kind of like building an audience and then going beyond that, you know, yeah. Um, and so, so that kind of leads us to where why I picked this one, and and you know, to be honest, I am. Upon listening to this, I was like, oh, you know what, I don't know if this was the right pick, but but as we do this, there's no wrong pick, you know there's a, there's just which, which would you start with and we'll get there with questions like would this be my entry point? I don't know that this would be my entry point actually. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I am happy we are talking about it. Um, how, how do you want to start on this one today? Because I mean pretty straightforward history. Yeah, from New Brunswick, came from the basement scene. Kind of playing. I mean, they're a band who plays in pretty big, uh, you know, venues. At this point, they're not, they're not some stadium rock band. But these, this is a band who who does pretty well and and is well known. If you are into indie rock, I guess you know, largely speaking, and and I, I use that in the. The broadest possible sense, if you are into underground guitar-based music, you should probably have heard of this band by now.
0: Yeah, I was actually. It's funny you say that because I was thinking about that just in terms of like where it fits in as a genre. Like, it, you know, <laughs> it's definitely there's indie rock, you know, association and influence, but there's also like alt rock. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's. I don't know. Like, what do you call? You know, I was thinking of like Sleater, Kenny, Bikini Kill, you know, bands like that. Like, is that indie rock? Is that punk rock? Is it, you know, I don't know, but. Uh,
1: let, me, let me pull back the curtain for a second. So one of the things that we typically do uh, that I don't know, I, I like it. It's a nice kind of ritual that we are a part of at this point. But usually the day of the episode, and we didn't do it today. It kind of threw me off. Um, one of us, one or the other will will send a question to think about about the record that we're doing and my question for you for today for this record was is this punk music question <laughs> mark because um, because my answer is largely no uh, because I uh, you know if I were to pick musical like comparisons I hear Sleater Kenny for sure I hear a myriad of 70s rock influences. I mean, everything from Black Sabbath to Kiss. um, (laughs) You know, I'm hearing in here, I'm hearing, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band The Thermals. I I hear a little bit of that. Uh, And there's a few other things that I hear in there. Some of the Ted Leo material that he's Mm -hmm. done, I can hear some of that. But to me, this sounds like post-2000s New York City underground not-punk music. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's stripped down but but competent. And this isn't – like this record, as they continue on, they get – this isn't some small – this isn't lo-fi by any means. Please don't mistake it for that. But – there's a certain rawness to a band who I just said has parts that remind me of black Sabbath and kiss. So, so pull that in. Yeah. But, um but I think there's, you know, maybe it's a lack of pretense that lends itself to that, but there's a, a number of bands that fell into this world. And, and, you know, I think if I were to really call this, 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 map and try to put like, all right, here's some other bands I could largely group with this. A lot of them are New York city bands from like 2003 to 2010.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, would,
1: would, is this punk music?
0: Is this punk music? I think I'm going to give like the corniest answer possible. Um, I mean the reality for me, like, all right, let me take a step back. We were talking about SZA the other week, right? Yes, we were. And you asked me about, um, whether it was, I forget the exact question, but it was like, is this, you know, post 2000 R&B, like hip hop or like, like post
1: indie, post indie rock R&B or
0: something like that. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And my, my answer was like, it doesn't matter. And, you know, I, that's right. That's kind of where I'm at with this too. Like, like honestly, uh, and you know, all of you punk rock, uh, you dedicated punk rock fans out there, like lifers. Yeah. Yeah, at this point like I don't know that punk rock exists really. Like I feel like it's it's like a it's kind of a like a it exists in spirit, right? Um right. that's kind of how I feel about it at this point. Um you don't have like new bands sounding like Discharge really unless they're like trying to sound like Discharge, sound like Discharge you know? right? Sure, sure, um, sure. At this point it's kind of like what has happened, what happened in punk rock through the 70s, 80s, 90s um, has taken different forms. And I think, like, the spirit of punk is, like, what's much more important now and much more influential. For, sure. For um, sure. So, yeah, I mean, is it a punk rock record in spirit? Yeah, definitely. But I don't think it sounds like a punk record. I think, you know, again, it has those, it has some influences that you can point out, but. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it kind of. I mean that's why it's tough to categorize. I think that there's indie influences, there's 70s rock influences like you were saying. Um yeah, I mean it's a uh, but simple answer to your question, no, not a punk record.
1: I I really appreciate the way you put that because I I think I'd largely agree. Um and I also want to say that's this isn't totally a new phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> Sleater-Kinney is a great example because it's like is Sleater-Kinney a punk band? Not really. Not by sonic measures per se, you know, especially not by their mid-era, you know, but the energy and spirit of it, certainly, you know, like what they were going for and what they were trying to accomplish as a, as artists were was something more, there was more to their music than just like, hey, we have some rockin' tunes. Although there was an element of that too, you know, it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't not about the music, but it wasn't just about the music, if that all makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the examples I think of, and it's actually, it's funny because I think of Dinosaur Jr. Um, and I actually saw, the, the time I saw Screaming Females, I saw them open for Dinosaur Jr. Um, but Dinosaur Jr., you know, like, they're not a punk band. Um, no. They were doing their thing in the 80s. I wouldn't consider them yes. a punk band, but like... They're, like, alt-rock, indie, like, just messy, you know, like, noisy rock music, you know? But they're definitely punk in spirit, you know? Like, they're different than your average, you know, indie band or average alt-rock band, you know? So...
1: Yo, uh, I mean, exactly. Like, there's this whole world of bands and artists who, after the very first wave of uh, American punk and, you know, hardcore music... Uh, went on to do different things that it's like, yo, sonically, I, I have a hard time calling this punk, but obviously the spirit and energy with which they're playing this music is, and that's a perfect example is Dinosaur Jr. So um, so on Screaming Females, yeah, I, I think I largely agree. It doesn't matter. It is rock music. If this was 1992, uh, we would be calling this college rock because it was such an easy label to yeah. to throw
0: on things that were not very easily labeled. Um, I would say we <laughs> should bring that back, but like people in college are obviously not. Li- well, some people in college are listening <laughs> to screaming females, but generally that's not the, not the thing. I
1: think it's a good term. I think it's, I think it's um, great. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like you get the energy of it more so than the sound. And it really does kind of slap on a like, Oh, you know, it's kind of like a college rock thing, which could mean anything from dinosaur junior to, to, you know, Sonic Youth to, you know, yeah. I don't know, Hum, you know, like it's, it's, it's all over anything yeah, that's, yeah. uh, punk adjacent to indie to alt to, you know, even more noisy stuff. You can really slap that one on there. Um, let me start with this record, um, going in, going in, I thought this would be my favorite Screaming Females record. So another reason I started and picked this. I have always, for whatever reasons, really enjoyed this band. I think I saw them once and you're dead on killer live, like just so much energy and it sort of pulsates and you can feel it in the audience. But but it's one of those bands where it's like, oh, I bet this in a small, small venue gave off that same like, oh my God, the whole room is pulsing as it does when they're playing a sold out show, you know? Yeah. Um. Which is not always the case. Like, like, let's both be very honest. There are many artists who thrive in one and fail in the other, and sometimes it can be flipped. Um, so that's a huge compliment to say that I think it's a, a an act that works in both spaces really well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I saw him for open for Dinosaur Junior, it was probably to a room of a thousand people, and they were arguably better than Dino that night. And like, I love dinosaur mm-hmm. jr. Um, mm-hmm. but then, you know, they, I think also regularly play room to rooms of like 75 to hundred people. And like, I'm sure that it's, you know, just as killer. So yeah, for sure.
1: And I, I wonder, I wonder how often they play this uh, more small shows because I know they're, they're pulling at this point. They're really, uh, they, they've got, they got a little bit of a base. I'm pretty sure. For sure. Yeah. What's that place in, is it the Warsaw in Brooklyn? Yep pretty sure they sell that out at this point yeah so and that's, so that's good that's definitely dude, a big enough space yeah good on them um, so I went into this thing this would be my favorite record of theirs um, I, I do own it but I have not really spent time with it since I bought it Listened to it once or twice and then put it away um, and was really when I did my listen I was looking I was like okay I know I knew a song off of it really well. Um, and was like, okay, what are the other tracks that I'm gonna vibe on? Let me see where we're at. So, um, where were you at with this record beforehand? Anything else where you, you didn't have any familiarity with this record? Correct. I
0: had no familiarity. I think I listened to them originally, um, when Ugly came out, because I, I think that that record got like a particular, uh, like a significant amount of press because Steve Albini had produced it. That's right. Um, and it was just one of those moments where I was like, you know, I've heard a lot about this band. I should listen to them. And, uh, that's kind of where I, I may have heard songs here and there, you know, before, but just really wasn't paying attention, I guess.
1: For sure. For sure.
0: So, um, you know, and not to get to the spoilers here,
1: but I didn't like it as much as I hoped. Yeah. I'll be very plain about it. Um, the song I was familiar with going in was the first song, Bell, which I think is likely the best song on this record. I think there's two, maybe three others that I, I would also include as like, hey, these are these are cool songs. I, I like them. But Bell um, has a driving beat to it. Incredible opener. Like just really, you know, and that might be part of why I was drawn to this record so much was it just has a driving beat, pulls you in immediately and kind of keeps you on your toes. Uh, it's hard as someone who listens to extremely fast music sometimes to say that something has a frenetic energy when it is a pretty m- mid tempo, but this has a frenetic energy. There's something really kind of rattling around in that first song. And I think that's one of the things I most identify this song with the band. And I, I kind of love it. Like, um, as part of this exercise, I, I dove into their catalog a little bit, and this song's still one of my favorite songs of theirs. But it's prob, but the album's not um, probably not in my top three of the records I listened to. So, um, where were you at, broadly speaking, on this record?
0: Yeah, I mean the the opening track for me, uh, I feel the same as you. It was super strong. I feel like it really gave um it gave you kind of a um a peek into like every element of the band you know it has like good verse good chorus really strong um, guitar lead break um yes. you know super catchy um her vocals kind of she she kind of displays like the full range of her vocals in this song agree um, that she explores like you know through the other songs um I thought it was great. I mean, like to me, it's like the real standout track of the album. And I think, um, I don't know. I wonder if they still play like this song live or, I mean, they have so many albums at this point. I think they have seven albums. So like, um, it's curious to me, like, I guess now that this was what, uh, 11 years ago, ago, yeah, 10, 10, 11 years ago, like which songs from this album they still play if they play any. That's
1: a great question. Um, so okay let's let's pull it apart a little bit we both agree bell excellent song excellent this this record in general speaking and we do our best to be really respectful because i hope under people understand that energy this is this is an exercise in in listening to music and kind of sitting with it pulling it apart and talking about the things you like and and also identifying things that didn't resonate with you so Hopefully, if you haven't listened to this record, you can pause it right here. We're about somewhere in the twenty-ish minutes range, so just pause us. All right, and you came back. Good job. So, so you have your own thoughts on the record. We appreciate that. I think this band thrives. I think I think Screaming Females thrive on this record, but others as well when they're driving, when they're kind of keeping the hooks at the front and um and I think they evolved and started to see that like I think by Ugly you really see they had honed in a little bit of their 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 melodies and and like what really really works for them and uh and you know like on this record I think Bell the the melody the the hooks are just great it just drives and moves you around. It's like a very powerful song, but then I don't know if I get another track that does that for me until maybe starving dog, which is the fifth song, um, parts of, I believe an evil and adult army. And then the last song buried in the nude, there's some parts I really, I really vibe on there. Yeah. So they thrive when they're driving. What were you going to say?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I can just go into, I mean, um, the, I agree with you. Like, I think that it's, um, are the record for me does not flow, you know, all that well. Um, if I'm being honest, I think, Mm -hmm. um, but the thing I was really thinking about when I thought about seeing them live, like they're a killer live band again. Um, that being said, this is their third, you know, full-length record, they had probably crossed the United States playing shows, like, numerous times at this point. You know, they were a band from my recollection that was playing constantly from square one, you know? So when I was listening to this record, I also, I, I, I also thought about that a lot, where it's like they were a live band, you know? And when you're a live band, it's hard to bring that into the studio and get it right um i think that a lot of these songs had i seen them at the time live would have like totally killed yeah but bring them into the studio it like just either it wasn't done in the most effective way or you know maybe they were, like, kind of less... I mean, they were definitely still learning how to record. I think they've, like, undoubtedly gotten better at that, and I'd actually be curious to hear from them on, like, what they think of kind of this era. Um, But I think uh, this is, like, they're a live band at this point. They're, like, a band that probably went in and, like, did this, like, knocked out this recording in, like, two takes, you know? Oh, uh, yes, I bet so. I mean, if that. So, like... Um, I tried to keep that in mind because I, I I don't think it's that the, the songs are like weak. I just think that they could have evolved a little bit more and not just, you know, said like, all right, we got the record, we got the collection of songs, like, let's throw it down, you know? Um, and I think they've over time, like definitely gotten better at thinking about like, this is the album. This is what it's going to sound like as an album. And like, let's go in and record, you know? So, um, it's, it's a, it's a really strong early album, but I think, um, you know, it definitely doesn't, I imagine it's not the best screaming females record, but I can't say that confidently. Cause I haven't listened to all of them.
1: No, I, I think, I think you're right on with that. I think you're kind of like hitting a lot of points. I, uh, I, <sighs> So just to kind of go through it, I think that the flow on this record is not there. <clears throat> uh, the first transition, this from Bell, is it? Am I saying it right? Uh, from yeah, Bell to um, from Bell to Sour Grapes. Yeah, Sour Grapes is a, actually a fine song. Um, there's part. There's parts of it that are fine, but it just doesn't. You go from this like very driving song, pulsating, to a song that kind of. Dances a little bit and it's like bouncy, but in a really different way. And, uh, in a way that's like, how do you say something like uh, where you're not trying to dismiss a song? Because I think isolated on its own, that song's fine, it's, it's cool, but because it comes after such a powerful song, it almost looks weak in comparison, even though it's not. It's just that through the flow, perhaps the song's better at track six or seven. And, and you know, here's where we sound like grandfathers because we're talking about album flow, but hey, that's, know. that's, that's what you got. <laughs> um, we're going to get there on a, another episode coming soon where, where album flow, I think matters
0: 0.0%. Um, <sighs> I mean, I felt the same way about this one. Like I wanted them to take it up a notch mm-hmm. and instead they brought it way down and it just kind of, it, it, for them, for me, it dragged. I think the guitar lead in sour grapes is awesome. Great. Um, but uh, the song like, Maybe it's just because I was listening to it as an album, and I I think to yep. your point, like we're old men, like yeah. thinking about <laughs> album flow. Like maybe we should just like not think about that. But yeah, maybe maybe
1: we should do some isolation where we we do a couple of these songs just on their own. Yeah, And then we can get into the uh, Grandpa Grandpa Simpson bag where we're yep. like, wow, bah, bah,
0: bah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I mean, like you know, I do think that screaming females you know what i know about them i have to think that they're they all listen to albums and think of things as albums i mean they oh from, i think so too from punk rock indie world and like that's a world that still appreciates a good album you know so i have to think that was part of the process here so
1: so going in on what i know which is only from listening um i listen to power move then i listen to the record that follows this up castle talk and then i listen to ugly and I went, oh, okay. Well, of these three, and and then I listened to some of the newest one, which is All at Once. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to dive into the 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 one in between, Ugly, and All at Once, but but I went, oh, okay. Well, the cool thing is, I think that I like Ugly the best, and then All at Once, and then Castle Talk, and then Power Move, which is uh, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that even like Ugly flows so much better, and um, it just <clears throat> there's almost like a command of a sound that you hear by the time they're they're writing this record. You know, when you hear Ugly, Ugly is a longer record, has more songs, but it almost f- it because of the flow, it goes down so smoothly and some of the, the more clunky parts of power move, which, and like to somebody who's out there listening, who this is your favorite record, please take no distress from our commentary. Like it's still like, this is still a record that's impressive in a way that's like, Hey, this made, made me put it on our, on this podcast because I think it's a notable record from New Jersey just on its own. Um, come to think of it though screaming females probably have two or three other records that'll be uh get higher praise from us when we inevitably do those records yeah um the transition from bell to sour grapes to skull and skull maybe is where i really got lost on the record because that's the one where they get kind of into some black sabbath dirgy parts
0: yeah and that to me like for me it was interesting because i thought to myself like this could like that may have been my favorite song on the record or I, I should say potentially was potentially my favorite song on the record but I think the production is so thin that like where where it's actually heavy it doesn't sound heavy if that makes sense like for sure no I mean it's
1: not yes because um, I can be a sucker for that stuff you know that bluesy uh sabbath heavy guitar churn churn. i uh it can pull me in but it didn't it didn't totally sound right here sound a little out of place and because i was listening to it album flow style you know if this song if that song came up on shuffle on spotify i might feel a different way about it um so so let's let's talk about this. Let's go through. Usually we t- pull apart a record towards the end. We're gonna pull it apart here and then talk about a few other things that I think are highlights of the record. Um, how do you feel about that? Cool. Sounds good. First track, Bell Keeper, the hit. Yeah. Uh, um, so so we're 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 saying we're a new record label and we have the opportunity to license <laughs> Power Move on a track-by-track track basis. And we're going to see where we end up. Uh, so it's going to be take it or leave it. So Bell, we're saying take it.
0: Strong opener. Wouldn't change a thing about it.
1: Not a, not a thing. Sour Grapes. Um, great, great guitar lead, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Some creative flourishes. Uh, I'm
0: leaving it. I would leave it. I would just put it in a different position on the record. Oh, no, no. We're taking it if we're we're keeping it. So you're you're going to take it? Oh, so I have to take it where it is? No, no, no. You take it, meaning you'll take
1: it with you to the new record.
0: Yes, I'll take it with me. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Skull. Um, taking it.
0: Leaving it. Treacher Collins. Um, that song kind of washed over me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it. Leaving it. Starving dog starving dog um i am going to take it i'm taking it
1: uh that one kind of pulled me in a little bit lights
0: out i didn't love it but i love i really like the the riffs that they have going on in it like yes yeah, yeah. It's cool. I mean, she's a killer guitar player and she comes up with cool riffs, you know? So yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, Yes. Like, like we're going to get into that whole thing. That's what I want to pull apart is that the fact that this is like, not just good. So I actually had the opportunity. I was in the studio with, with a friend's band and they had, (coughs) um, uh, a friend of theirs come in and do guest vocals. And we didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, she actually identified, she's like, yeah, I'm more of a drummer, but you know, I can sing a little bit and it's, it's cool that you wanted me to come sing on this record. And when she got into the the booth, we were like, oh, whoa, she can really sing. And uh, as we were leaving, I was like, hey, look, like there's people who have a good voice and an interesting voice and you've got both. And uh, and that's something I would also give to uh, Marissa from Screaming Females because she has a good voice and an interesting voice, and on top of that, is is playing guitar and just is like a shredder, like is just like shredder, and and like again the duality of guitar player competency and creativity. Like I always talk about that. It's like. Well, you could be the best guitar player and that means that you can play every song, but to be the greatest guitar player, you need to be really creative and and be able to write every song, you know, or, or write the coolest songs rather. And, uh, and, and I mean, that is a huge, huge benefit of, of screaming females. And I think one of the biggest strengths of the band is like how creative some of the songs are, even in like, some of the more structured formats like uh, some of these are really easy for me to understand as a listener because they're really well put together you know when you listen to more noisy or drawn out music sometimes the song structures start to to flux and and it's fine but like when i break it down like hmm, what am i not getting out of this song or what are the parts i don't like it's when they feel disjointed for the most part power move for sure but especially when you get to ugly they have almost impeccable song structures everything just feels like it comes to a natural conclusion and and really lines up nicely uh, which is
0: because nice they definitely like toy with that a lot uh yeah at least in this record you know and i I'm think sure they're
1: super they playful with to. the way they do it and it's 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 clever in the most complimentary of ways i think yeah. it's really cool um so then I go, Lights Out, I Believe in Evil and Adult Army. I'll take all of them. Um, I think that's actually a pretty solid section. Adult Army has mm. some of the catchiest parts in the song. My mm. only downside is that it's five minutes long.
0: Yeah. I actually I thought the exact same thing. It feels really long. And that one, Adult Army, um, I really liked the kind of spacey guitar effect that it opens with. Yep. And I really wanted it it to take that direction. And for me, it just like, it took a different turn. And it turned into a really catchy, upbeat song that I like. But that actually, you know, you were talking about flow before. That to me is like actually one of the kind of more prime examples on this album where I think that, that could have been broken out into two completely different songs, and I think like it would have benefited for sure.
1: That yeah, I think that's one of the parts as we're talking about this. Their songwriting, I think, I think they start kind of uh, sharpening the pencil on that stuff as they go forward. Even even by the next record, you're starting to see like decisions that I I am more like, oh, that's cool. Like yeah, this makes more yeah. sense to me. But
0: I, but I think like and just a just to even like elaborate on the, the live band point that I made before, like there are a lot of different types of bands, right? I mean, I, I think I mentioned in yes. one of the earlier episodes, um, I'm a huge guided by voices fan and guided by voices are a band that record. They're like the apex of college rock, you know, them or pavement. Oh, I yeah. guess. But like, all they do is record and put things out. And like, so essentially you end up with, a lot of recordings, but like you see the entire process of the band and kind of like where they kind of miss and where they hit and like what they're good at and what they're not good at, but they're like kind of throwing everything at the wall and mm-hmm. exposing you to it. Um I think that I, I would put screaming females in that camp of bands that like there's a lot of output they're always playing live they're always trying something new and like there's inevitably going to be misses so it's not even like a diss you know if i don't like something it's just like i i i really appreciate like that sort of process and that type of band where like you know i'm sure that they probably aren't super happy with some of the decisions on this record or other records but like you know they were like fuck it like like get records out. We got to like keep moving. Let's go. Yeah. Like keep things moving. Like, I, I think that too. that's a, that's a whole different strategy. You know? Yeah. I think for a band with this level of discography,
1: you know, like let's go through this really quick studio albums starting in 2006, baby teeth, 2006, 2007. What if someone is watching their TV? 2009 power move, 2010 castle talked, 2012 ugly, 2015 rose mountain, 2018 all at once. Like, yo, what? <laughs> and then there's all kinds of singles in between all that. All kinds of singles. There's a single collection in 2019. It's just, it's an impressive amount of output. And then to just kind of keep things moving forward. Uh, it's very impressive. Um, I think I, I the only, the, other, the last thing I wanted to know is the the song T- buried in the nude, which is the last song on the record. I love because it's, it's sort of, <clears throat> it bookends the record in this way that, uh, it goes out on a high note mm-hmm. but also this is where like my question of is this punk music this is almost the most desperate song and like it's really pulling at you and and it's uh emotive and yeah it's just it's it adds to the complexity of the record at a point where i didn't think that they would um yeah and and like i i think that song uh probably is my behind bell my second favorite song on the whole record so
0: I agree. Actually, yeah, I think it's like it has a super catchy hook, but it's also really it has like that chaos and intensity um, yeah. that I like, and I think they're really good at. Yep. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, super strong opener, super strong closer. Closer, I think that uh, you know, not and there's some things. There's level some level there's enough. some
1: high points in the middle.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely high. Um, but so
1: before, so so. Huge compliments to Scream Females. Uh, I actually think to ask this question: Would this be the entry point you would point someone to for this band?
0: Um, you know, I can't answer that confidently, but I don't <laughs> think I don't think it would be. I mean, I have to imagine that they've had you know uh, four albums since this. Um, yeah, and you know honestly the ones i listened to i listened to a little while ago so i don't remember but i definitely remember the last album um that came out i think last year or 20, 2019 2018 yep. um, that was stronger as an album you Yeah. Know? So i think they definitely um progressed since this but i think it's also probably an interesting period in their you know in their history at this point because they've been a band for 15 years Mhm.
1: I think that I would actually point at all at once as the entry point as well. Uh the song I'll make you sorry off that record is just great and um I think they again I just think that everything got tightened up um you know we're we're espousing this funny thing on a band like Screaming Females where they have prolific output when you think about the artists we're comparing them to, they're, they're <laughs> top of the pop stuff, you know, like saying guided by voices saying dinosaur jr. It's like, yeah, that's pretty high praise, but I feel
0: like they're worthy of it. Um, Dude, I mean, straight up when I saw them open for dino, like they dinosaur jr. If you know anything about this band, they have a tendency to play very loud. Um, that's kind of like their shtick. If they had a shtick. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is. Um,
0: and, uh, Screaming females are super loud as well, but they did it in this way that was like, they actually had the volume, you know, kind of set up the right way. Whereas dinosaur junior just kind of blew out the house system and like, it didn't (laughs) even sound good, you know, like you couldn't even really make out the songs. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah. Thanks Dino.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, screaming females, I, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I would definitely put them in that sort of pantheon. I think that they just, at this point in their career, what they needed were like some more kind of memorable, like hooks that, that, that I yeah. think got to later, you know?
1: No, I mean, and, and you know, and making a comparison, I think it's when you, if you were to listen to uh, the first, you know, dinosaur junior full length dinosaur or whatever it is, you know, um, yeah. and then hear the comparison by the time, even by the time they hit bug, it's like, Oh yeah, you got it. You figured it out. And it's not to say that there weren't memorable moments on the first record, but as they progress, you go more and more like, whoa, you you've got this down, you know? Yeah. Um so I would say entry point, the the newest record all at once is a great entry point. Um I have a feeling we
0: will revisit this band at some point. Uh I mean I, I feel like the- they're a band that's like the best is yet to come. Honestly, um,
1: yeah. I mean, which is wild to say for a band with seven albums, but like, yeah, like, oh, so that's where I was going. Was um, so, so I'd say all at once is a good entry point. But I also to to use another pantheon band, um, Husker Du is a band who I struggled with for years to get into because I treated them like, let me sit down and listen to their albums as albums. And there were parts that I liked more and less. And, you know, probably being a 16 year old who got the Zen arcade double LP and it just was kind of not what I was looking for at that time. Didn't help, but not too long ago, um, you know, a friend helped me put together a, a, who's essentially a, a mix list uh, on Spotify, a playlist. And it gave me such a stronger appreciation for highlight tracks that I was able to then kind of backdoor into the albums in a stronger way. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Screaming Females would be great for that as well, which maybe speaks more to the generation of listeners right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely think they're that kind of band and I'm not even again I'm not even schooled on all their stuff but
1: yeah um, so uh, then we are going to let's let's put a bow on this one uh, thank you to screaming females thank you for power move appreciate it and do you want to announce what we're going to do next week or you want to keep it a surprise
0: Um, I'll announce it so next week we are going to do the album um, by Halsey um called manic um i wanted to do a record that came out in 2020 um you know we've kind of covered every decade at this point but we i don't think we've dipped into actual albums that came out this year so uh yeah. that's we're at that's my pick i'm with it wild card feel it let's go let's go talk to you next week thanks everybody Hey, everybody. This is It Came From New Jersey. This is another special bonus episode for everybody. Um, My name is Pete. I'm one of your hosts.
1: And my name is Bob. I am your other host.
0: So today on the program, we have um, an old friend of ours, um, Joe from uh, Don Giovanni Records. Um, This week on the show, we talked about Screaming Females' power move, Uh, We talked through the whole album, so now we have Joe on the program to kind of help fill in those gaps, you know, and give us his experience, you know, around that time and uh, that era of Screaming Females and, you know, just have have a fun conversation. So welcome to the program, Joe.
2: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Um, can you give the listeners, anyone who's unfamiliar, you know, with you or what you've been involved in kind of the history of a short history of Don Giovanni, um, and you know, where you are now, what you're working on?
2: Yeah, um... That's already a lot to ask. So it's a short history. Um, <laughs> this is this is not
1: a uh, a brief history of time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean.
2: It sort of feels like it's. I feel like. Um. I feel like it's one of those questions I get asked a lot, and I've been getting yeah. it asked. It's one of the. It's. It's a funny. It's like people ask you, how did you start the label or something. Just like why did you name your band or how did you start your band if you're in a band? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm weirdly. I realized the other day I've been doing this for 18 years, and so. It's isn't that a trip yeah, welcome so, to so,
0: welcome so, to
1: adulthood don giovanni records oh it's great so, so
0: just fit those 18 years into like one and a half minutes and we're good <laughs> i
2: mean that's kind of the point it's like the further away in time like the older the label gets the less interesting or even like worth discussing sometimes i'm like the early like why did i start this like i don't does it even matter at this point <laughs> right <it> <laughs> at this point? like i just have less and less interesting things to say about um I like have been telling because of the story, but um, I really—I I mean, yeah—I um, didn't really plan to like start a record label, I guess. Um, but it was something that I think I ended up being really good at, which is the fact that this has been going on for 18 years. Um, for sure, makes sense. And so, um, how about we? How about we pivot
1: real quick on this? Let's pivot. Give me. A so back here's back. here's how I'm going to pivot it. <laughs> when, did it, when did it switch over for you? Because like you said, you know what I mean? Like, When yeah. did it go from like, oh, I'm just, I just kind of do this thing to like, oh, no, no, no. This is a thing
2: I do now. So that's, that's a great question. There was two key moments in the label's history. Um, the fir- One of them is very relevant to today's conversation. Um, mm. The first one, though, was um, the Erg's um, Jersey's Best Prancers album. So prior to Jersey's Best Prancers, the label was only really putting things out that nobody else wanted to put out. So if an artist could find another label, I would just say, you know what, go put that out on a label. The whole goal was just to kind of have things, you know, on vinyl at the time that I just wanted to have on vinyl.
0: For sure. Um, A labor of love. What? A labor of love.
2: It was a, not, yeah, a, not just a labor of love, but um, but a labor of love with this, like philo- the philosophy with sort of, I don't really want to run a label, but there's records that I'd love to see on vinyl that I'm not sure who else would put them out. Um, right. yep. Including Dork Rod at the time was yep. only, we only did that because there was no one that would have put that out on vinyl in 2006, which is crazy to think about, but that's just a fact. Yeah, yeah. So, it, no, it definitely is when Jersey of came out the ergs had gotten more popular and they had an offer from gern blanstein to do that record which was a label i grew up like really admiring and i remember actually talking to charles for like advice on some things really early on so i was like holy shit you know you should do that like that's great news and then i'll just get a copy of the album on gern blanstein right <laughs> and there was like this epiphany that Zach and I had on the bus down, we were taking the bus from Boston to New York to see like Ben in a shape. The Irv, the Unlovables Steinways, like eight pop punk bands at um, knitting factory in that small room downstairs. We were taking the bus down mm-hmm. to Boston and on the bus ride, we were just kind of like, what if we actually did that record? And then we decided to just do what a real label like Gern Blanstein does. And, just figure out like what a real label does like what if we did that and so we probably drunkenly while we were still <laughs> on the bus ride down to the show called up the Ergs and were like with that pitch like what if we actually did this record and said Adrian Blanstein we'll do all the things a real label does um and by the time we got to the show they had agreed to let us do it and then it was like, I guess we have to figure out what a real label does. So I was like, I'm going to email right. Charles and ask what Gern Blanstein actually does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, hey, so actually I'm, yeah. I am I want to do that record you asked to do But because this is Kind of yeah. weird world, I'm still going to ask You for some advice, is that cool?
2: Isn't That's that weird cool. how that was uh, I don't think I told him it was for the ergs or anything Or it was like, I hope there was no Hard feelings that, No, a, I don't, I don't think that. so and so, But it was this moment of like, I guess we're going to actually Try to do the label a little more seriously um, And then the next moment came a few years later with screaming females and power move, actually specifically, okay. and that was when you know we put out 28 other records. It was the 29th release, which I can still remember. Yeah. Um, and it was still mostly just putting out bands that we felt like, you know, we. I, I don't. I'm trying to think of how to describe it we were still just kind of like putting out things on vinyl or on CD. That's literally what we were just pressing them,
1: you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, we're going to put out a record. Here's that record. The record is
2: out. There's a physical manifest manifestation of this recording and we're done. And that was, to be honest, that's what a lot of labels did at the time. It's funny that now I feel like it's, it's less the thing because you have all these digital options, but back then you just needed somebody to manifest your stuff into the world physically to sell shows and to, sell the people. Yeah. It's so for someone to
1: hold people. to literally just hold something in their hand.
2: Yeah. And then with the with the uh, err the, the with screaming females, um I made a really I don't know how hard of a pitch I made to them. I made what I felt like was a hard pitch though, where I was like, you know what? We should, or actually, I should go back a little bit. And I don't know if you edit this or not, but I don't totally care if you doesn't matter. Do, do go back, we'll, yeah. we'll let it in. It's nice. Yeah, keep going. You can keep this in with me saying. But rewind a second, I can tell this a little better. Um, there's a person named Fid, which I know Pete knows because they were in a band together briefly. Sure, yeah. And he kind of played matchmaker. Streaming Females were around for a while. Um, they'd done two records on their own, and. I thought that was like really admirable because as you can imagine, starting the label the way I did and doing the label, I always thought it was really cool when bands self-released stuff. So I didn't really want to, I wasn't out there trying to stop a band from doing that. So they were one of these bands that I really liked a lot in New Brunswick at the time. And they would have made sense for Don and Giovanni, but they were doing their own thing, which was very cool. And so I just let them do their own thing. Um, But then one, but but Fid used to have people over to his house all the time um, to watch like bad TV and bad movies. And one of those nights, Fid basically played like Matchmaker. And he was like, you know, Screaming Females told me that if they ever were going to do a record on a record label, they'd want it to be on Don Giovanni. I was like, really? Because, you know, I would love to, you know, I would totally do a Screaming Females record if they asked me. And yeah. then he kind of went back to them and was like, you know, Joe would love to put out your band. He just isn't asking you because he thinks it's cool that you guys are putting out your own records. Um, And that, um, so that started the conversation, but the conversation then kind of stopped when I was like, let's do this. And they were like, okay, cool. We're going to think about it. And then they thought about it and they were like, you know what? What? I think we still want to put it on ourselves. Like thanks for the offer. We were really excited. We thought about it a lot. And I think we actually still want to do our own records. We think that's a really cool thing. And I was like, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because you guys were doing a great job doing your own records. Um, and then this gets to that leveling up of the label. So mm-hmm. I went down to see them at a show in DC. Like I just drove down to see them. Um, which is when they told me that. So I went down to DC and I was like, Hey, have you guys thought about that? You were on tour. They were on tour for like a whole month, maybe more. They weren't some long tour. And I was like, they probably thought about it by now. So I was like, Hey, have you guys had any thoughts on this? And that's when they said, yeah, I think we're going to like do it our own on, do it ourselves. Thank you. Like, and you know, that was that. And then I told Jared, I was like, you know, we never really formally discussed this. We never, I never really pitched you anything. We never really talked about what it would be like doing a record together. So even if you thought about it, like, can I have a chance to kind of like pitch you on doing the record? You know? And it was like, "Yeah, of course. And so that night, um, we were playing like, chess or something really weird we were doing mm-hmm. something we were the guy's house we we're staying at had like maybe we were playing poker but we were playing with like bottle caps we were doing we were playing something weird and everyone, everyone went to bed besides me and chair and I was like okay maybe now's a good time you know to do this like pitching thing and so I just kind of went for it and I told him I was because I, I thought and I thought about it in the car again I would take my own car so we were traveling separately and I was like I I don't know what to really tell them because I was like, the truth is I am just going to do the exact same things that they do. I'm just going to make their records exist and then they can sell them at shows. Um, But I sort of thought about these things I could, that a label could offer. And I kind of offered them all. I was like, you know what? Here's things, some things you can't do yourself, like real distribution where you're really promoting records in stores and doing posters Yep. Like real publicity, like a publicist. Which at the time, it's funny. Now a publicist is like this thing that every band has. At the time, it was really, really unheard of. We weren't. We, we weren't like no. That that's big level. It. That's that's stepping into a different level of
1: world of of labels and and for that size and what you were doing.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty big difference. 2007, yeah. especially in two thousand seven, the idea of hiring a publicist to work a record like that didn't make sense. So I was like, you know, a publicist we can do a radio campaign. We can do all these things that you would get, not just even at like a label like Gern Blanstein, but a label a level up from that. Like,
1: yeah, that's, that's, that's when you start talking about the matadors of the world.
2: Right. We were like, so I was like, you know what? You guys are that good. You, you will one day be on a label like that. Why don't we just be that label? And that was kind of my pitch. Um, and then the next day I kept hanging out with him on tour. We were in Baltimore and, Again, we took two separate cars. Um, or I took, I took my, my car. They took a van. And we were eating, like, crab cakes. I, I was, like, the only one eating, actually. They probably didn't even eat crab cakes. I was, like, <laughs> I was crab cakes at the mall. And so we were there. I was getting, like, crab cakes with them and talking. And they were, like, you know what? We thought about what you said, and we're going to do it. And I was, like, oh, my God. Like, holy shit. You know? Um, yeah. Okay. And – that was the really a big moment that changed everything because then I'm like driving home and I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about publicists, about radio, about promoting records to stores, about distribution. Um, So I'm going to have to learn it all. Like I'm going to have to figure out how to do all that stuff and how to actually offer that stuff um, to them. But I feel like I actually also have a band that, if I do that stuff, it'll actually work. Because I, 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 again, it's funny because now like a band will start and like at their first show, they're like figuring out who the publicist is going to be for their record, right? right um, yeah. And I'm not and, and I'm not saying that's a dig against the band. That's just the way the world, like the the, the entire like the, the that that's how it's world of music. It yeah, there's, it's it. moved it's moved
1: very quickly. There's there's and for better or worse and we we can parse this later if we want but but it, it there's a jump in this like okay who how, what are we who's working this record how right. are we getting it out there do we need a manager right now these booking yeah. agents talking to us etc
2: yeah but and also like what a publicist actually does now is very different than what a publicist was doing in 2007 yes so, i mean the industry's flipped over it's very different yeah it's just a whole different thing and so there were just all these questions, but it did feel to me where I was like, I really was, I was like, if this band signed a matter or if this band signed a sub pop, if this band, you know, signed a merge or something, if this band signed mm-hmm. to rock stars, what would those labels do? They'd hire them a publicist and the publicist would actually give return on investment for lack of better word. They would do a radio thing. And that radio thing would actually somehow return. I don't know how that stuff works, but I know that it would for a band that is like this. So i we'll just start figuring it out. Um, and that was really the beginning of like the Don Giovanni that people know today. You know, it's funny. Like you guys both are probably weirdly more familiar with like the first twenty-eight releases, you know, than the next like a hundred to next two hundred releases. We're, we're at about two thirty. I'm <laughs> scheduling two thirty right now. That's and awesome. It's funny because wow. a lot of people just think of these first twenty-eight, um, and that's cool. I think that's great. But it's like, so, but it's like really that was like this dividing line and, and a lot of ethos like carried over. Like a, there's a lot of things that I do now. In fact, there's more things that I do now that are similar to what I was doing for those first 28 releases than things I do differently. Um, but that was the moment I'm like, I guess I have to become the label this band deserves. You know, like, I can't just be that old label I have to become the label for a band like this, or I'll like lose this band and I should lose this band. I, it's like, they are letting me work with this great record. I need yeah. to become a label like that. And, or just like stop. Yeah. And you know, I've had that feeling a bunch of times, including with, with their records. They've brought me over the years where I'm like, damn, I have to like be the label for this record. And if not, they should find another label for it, you know? And so, bands like them have just really pushed me over the years to to figure out how to do new things and grow the label that was that that was that first really big push so it's a good record to talk about on the podcast
0: so you mentioned it a few times throughout that story thanks for Filling us in on all of that. That was awesome. Yeah,
2: that's a long
1: window. Um,
0: No, no, it's great. I love it. Um, But yo, it was the best way to
1: answer the tell us about Don Giovanni. I think we learned a lot, you know? Yeah, exactly.
0: It wasn't exactly one and a half minutes, but, you know, you got (laughs) it. Sorry. Um, No, no. Um, uh, But you mentioned a few times, you know, that you knew there was something about screaming females that you really, like, you knew that they would kind of they deserve this like amount of success and they would get there eventually. Like you had to be the label. I'm curious about like, what did you see in them? Like from that really early stage? Like, why, why did you feel that way about them?
2: That's a really interesting question. Um,
0: cause I mean, you come in touch with so many bands, you know, at that point, you know, And since then, you know, I'm, I'm curious kind of what stood out about them to you. It's interesting
2: to say the biggest thing that stood out to them was actually not their stood out for, from them, like to me was actually not their music, but it was kind of their work ethic and the way they approached their band at the time. Um, but the truth is also the way I, I've always done the label has a lot more to do with, with people than with what, you know, songs sound like, you know, I've always kind of worked with people that I like and believe in the people. And then they can turn in to me, whatever they want to turn in, whether it's like, sometimes it's a book, you're not even like a record. Sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. sure.
2: But that's not to say that it's about the work ethic. A lot of times the people I know that I I love the person, they have a bad work ethic, but I love the person. I love the art they're making, but screaming females had, had a work ethic, which felt like if I put the work in, they were going to put the work in. Um, and, like, they were, they would practice, like, you know, I remember hearing these stories about a band like Black Flag practicing, like, six hours a day, you know. But I never encountered bands like that. Like, most of the bands that I was working with and encountered, they were practicing, like, once a week at most, you know, maybe less. Unless they were writing the album and they practiced a lot for the album. Right. And streaming Females would practice, like, three hours a day, like, every day back like it was and they still do like things like that you know they would meticulously plan these things um and yeah the music was was incredible but i feel like there's so many bands you and i can talk about with incredible music that didn't go anywhere and a lot of times what you can point to for why is like well they didn't really try to go anywhere like they they thought the music themselves the thought the music itself would, would carry them and- speak for itself and, and yeah. that's all that it needs. You know, is- unfortunate that doesn't. It's unfortunate that doesn't happen. It's unfortunate oh. the way the world works is that doesn't happen. You know, yep.
1: yo. So that's I I, I want to dig on that for a second because yeah. I, I think given uh, your experience with label and you know the the duration you know the length of the time you've been involved with music at large, this is a conversation I hear in a lot of different spectrums is like. Well, one, what does a label do? But we can, let's put that one aside because maybe we'll get there. But two, what makes one band succeed and another not? And I think you just nailed it, is that competency matters and being good and creative and making excellent art matters a lot. But then that work ethic component, are you willing to put in the time that it takes and are you willing to endure that, you know, it's – you almost for every band and and I won't – I'll say this. A lot of artists, there's some who get lucky and it it goes much quicker. But sometimes you have to literally put in the time and effort and grind before you start to see success. And I mean – what you described, seeing that energy that this band had and that kind of the work ethic, it sounds like not only did it <laughs> click a, a switch for you to go, oh, this is an artist I need to work with, but also it sounds like it inspired
2: you to do more with the label. Is that right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, before before then, the for the label, the way it was, was they'd have... A great band, and they would exist. They'd make a record, and they usually break up. You know, by the time they made their full length, they would like break up, and that was the life cycle of a band. Right. And sometimes, with a label as a whole, it was as dangerous as like an entire scene would break up at once. Like my band yep. Punchback and the herbs were just like all done at once. You know, and it was like, oh, the whole label is done. <laughs> um, You know, or something. You know, something like that would would happen, and so. You know, it was, that was always, and that's what kills a lot of labels is they, you know, just like mine, I was in college when I started it. So you're working with all these college kids and what's the life, life cycle of a college band? It's a four year life cycle, right? By the time they graduate college, no matter how big their band is, they're usually like, well, I just went to college and I got a degree, you know, in computer science. And no matter how popular my band is, I don't, I think I want to go like do computer science or, you know, or something like that. And so- the band breaks up. Um, and some bands stick around a little longer, usually when they went to school for other things. But a lot of times that's like the life cycle of a, of a band in college. Um, and so like I was in college, the bands I was listening to were in college and that's what, that's what was happening. And then there was this fundamental shift after that too. Like my bands don't really break up anymore. (laughs) You know, now I'm, yeah. back. I have, I have catalog. I never had catalog. And so it's impossible. It's really hard to get a label moving when you don't have catalog. Cause it's That's like right. always just trying to, you know, create new things and start from scratch. And now all of a sudden, you know, like I have albums. I'm like, this is the fifth record from this band. This is the eighth record from this band. This is the third record from this band. And you can put that time and energy into, into like growing things slowly because things grow very, very slowly. Like the success green females have had was far from overnight. (laughs) They've been doing this as I been doing this 18 years. I think they've been doing this 15 years, you know, maybe 16 years. And so it wasn't this thing where it was like, wow, they were great. And then everyone loved them. It was like, they were great. And no one cared for a really long time. And each album they did, a few more people cared. And now they've done 10 albums and a lot of people care, you know? And that's that's the reality of it, and so it's that work ethic and saying, you know what? I think this band is going to be around for another album after this, and maybe another one, and they're going to keep doing this. And I need to keep, I need to be here for them to keep to keep doing it. And we're both kind of still pushing each other back and forth in that way. Like they challenged me by making an album like Rose Mountain, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to grow the label to this level and then they made a record like all at once and i was like oh my god okay like i have to do you know it's like we it, it does feel like we've just been pushing each other back and forth challenging each other to, to grow together for the last you know um 13 years we've been working yeah that's yeah amazing. it's
0: wild you guys have been working together for that long that's like it's yeah. like unheard of at this point you know what i mean yeah well especially
2: um, in thinking of the bands that like you guys used to you know be a part of and that i was putting out before then would they be around for like one year and put out like two seven inches <laughs> right then, like, right and then there'd be a band if a band even got to a full length it was like whoa <laughs> they made a full length you know i know and i never thought i'd be working with bands that are putting out this many full lengths but they're but the they're coming out of that same type of scene that's what's weird it's not it's not like i like switched and started trying to find bands somewhere else it's just right you know, I, I yeah. things just kind of changed a bit, and I started like one thing led to another. And but it's like it's still actually very similar types of bands. It's just that they seem to stick around longer, for, and part of it I think is that they had a label and a stable home to incentivize them to stick around. You know,
0: right? I mean, you stepped up your game; they stepped up theirs. I mean, it seemed like a reciprocal relationship. Yeah, right? so, I think
2: we really grew a lot together. We had, we had to like I, I said this I say this a lot too, and. It, when people you know when i talk about the label like bands like streaming females um really because they were like they were they're were, they were, they were, like the oldest child you know where i had to like you had to like make the rules you know and then the middle yep. you know, you know, the youngest child <laughs> would live with those rules, but like the first time someone's like hey can i borrow the car you're like oh, i don't know if i'll let the kid borrow the car but then when you're your establishing precedence right there. Right. And then but then your younger brother, you already they know what the rules are, you know, yep. because you want to go to the party and you know, and like late at night and stuff. And so Screaming Females were kind of that for the label where like we'd get an offer to use a song in a commercial for the first time and it was like, Do we want to do this? Like, I don't want to do this. Do you guys want to do this? How does this even work? You know, and then by the time the next band comes around and they're talking to me, I'm I'm like a genius. I'm like, Oh, I know how this all works. I can explain, I can, I can explain, you know, most favorite nations, like here's what you want to do. Um, but to the point, like I'm literally a, I'm a professor. I, I of this, like I, I am a professor of music industry and I, I learned it all one piece of it. I never got a degree and I never, I mean, I've read books on it, I guess by now. Yeah. But, you know, really it was like one decision at a time. I had to learn about how do I do this? And a lot of those things for the first time were screwing females.
0: Yeah. So you took a step back before I wanted to take a further step back. You said that you said that FID had kind of, you know, played matchmaker, um, introduced you guys to each other, but it seems like you were familiar with them already. So, no, we, like,
2: yeah, we knew each other. No, we knew each other. He played Matchmaker like with the album. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I knew, exactly.
0: So, so like, right? what was, if I don't know if you remember the first time you saw them, but what was kind of your first, you know, um, experience seeing them or like, yeah, like, like the, like on your if, radar?
1: if this is the romantic comedy movie, when did you first catch their eye? Or <laughs> when did they first catch your eyes?
2: I don't. Yeah, I don't know when I first caught their eye, but I definitely know that I used to like. It's really funny. Like I talk with them about this a lot today. How like because they were these like they were like Mason or it's not even they were Mason Gross kids. It was really just Marissa was the like Jarrett went to school. I think for um I'll be so mad. I don't know this. I think it was something to do with farming though at Rutgers. I think he was in that college though. Oh yeah, that the Rutgers ag program is pretty I big. Ag, I think he was in the ag program.
0: And Joe, you guys uh, were all in New Brunswick at the time.
2: Yeah, we were all in New Brunswick. Um and marissa was at mason gross but i would remember going to these shows and all these mason gross kids would come which is funny. i'm now friends with a lot of them but i was like all these art students like oh my god like hate art students you know like um and they brought out this whole different crowd to like basement shows which i remember at at first being kind of like okay all the like ergs fans are going to clear out all the mason gross kids are going to come in um but then I think eventually it was just kind of like Ertz, Hunchback, and Tyrion Females fans kind of like melded into one. But there was definitely some like xenophobia on my part, and I think I'm probably not the only one that was like xenophobic of this like of the like Mason Gross crowd, like mm-hmm. you know, like quote unquote invading, you know, like the punk punk shows and stuff. Right. Um, the weird a tribal nature of that stuff, even in a place as you know as as relatively
1: small as New Brunswick, is is mm-hmm. very interesting.
2: It isn't. It's, yeah, it's interesting and it's kind of when it's, it's absurd when you think about it, like you say, cause it's such a small scene. Yeah. And yet there was, there was like the noise kids that would be at like doors house. And then there'd be like the art kids at like Courtland land And there'd be like the mm-hmm. hardcore kids. And like, um, wherever it? they could find 30, a place where they weren't oh, like, kicked you know, like, 30 out of Hamilton, like that yeah. house across from the grease. It, it was like for such a small scene, it did feel like there was all these like insular pockets and it'd be like, Oh God, those kids are coming. And it was really these like 15 person scenes, you know? Um, but I think it was also nice because the bands would play together a lot. And then you would, there would be some spillover. And I think I want to say Ryan O'Connor um, from Hellhole, hole, like um, and just a new Brunswick kid who was a friend of mine used to live above me. I think he was the first person that actually was like, yo, you should listen to Screaming Females. Because we were always like, man, they're crowds, man. I would always be like, okay, those kids are coming. I'm leaving the basement, you know. <laughs> and then right. I would come in for like the end of the song, and I'd be like, okay, wow, this is sick, like guitar shred. I did love – I mean, I've always been a big, like, fan of, you know, like guitar solos. So I was like, man, there's some sick guitar stuff. But I, I remember just being like, yeah, I, I think I thought they were like a um, – Novelty all not the right word. Cause I knew they were like a serious band. I think I just felt like they were from this other world. Like I felt like they were, it was like lightning bolt coming to town or something, you know? And I was right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I didn't think, so it was like, yeah, I'm not going to really, it's not really my thing, you know, at the time it wasn't at least. Um, but then Ryan O'Connor, I think was the first one to be like, I think he was the one who was like, yo, you gotta like, actually like listen to them. They're like incredible. And I was like, okay, like I trust you. Um, and I did. and they. They, it was funny. They were actually instantly incredible. Like I remember when I put on baby teeth, um, instantly, like the very first song on there, um, is incredible. And then pretty quickly I was like, okay, now I want to see them live. And it was funny. Like as soon as I kind of bought into the CD and then I went to see them live, I started liking the crowd. I was like, oh, these kids are cool. Like I like this crowd.
1: Yeah, you get a different energy. Compare that energy. What do you what did you like about the crowd?
2: Um much more diverse than a hardcore show. Um, yep. still mostly white though at the time. Like sure, but at least sure. there was a lot more women in the crowd. Um and they just like like something I, I never liked about hardcore shows. Like, I always liked the music, but I, it, it it felt like there was this, like... Hardcore shows always felt like there was, like, this pr- serious pressure to conform to, like, some type of um, something. No, <laughs>
1: Which, I, yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's many people who disagree with you there.
2: Yeah, and the something would change over the years. And that's, that was always irony. Like, you'd have to keep up with these, like, trends so you weren't, like, wearing the wrong thing the wrong... I never liked that, you know, um, about hardcore shows. I always felt like... I wasn't the cool kid there, you know, not that, you know. I'm well, not- well, that's
1: that's the hard, that's the interesting part is that New Brunswick was such a mixed boat that, um, you know, the hardcore kids certainly had their own little niche carved out and, and you know, it seems like it it has for a long time. But, but essentially, for, for someone who's not initiated, if you're hearing us talk about this, imagine there's a bunch of weird kids and a bunch of weird people in general. But there's one little cluster of weird people who kind of are like, yeah, 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 you guys are all weird, but not in our way. Our way is the cool way, and that's the weird we want. And like, whatever your weird is, eh, you know, and that, I mean, Joe, you know, what you're describing almost parallels that. Like, because you're right, like, there's so much that's like, hey, this is a group of people who all don't fit in, but then it's like you have to fit in with the right crowd who doesn't fit in. And, exactly. and it sounds like the crowd you're describing, it was just like, oh, here's these, these weirds
2: <laughs> all just doing weird stuff. That's what I think was, I was actually very comforting about it. Once I kind of like got over my own xenophobia about the crowd was it didn't, nobody at a screaming female show in New Brunswick in like 2006 was trying to be cool. There wasn't anyone that you're like, though this guy's trying to be the cool person it was just, like, these people all know they're not cool, and that actually makes them really cool. Whereas at every hardcore show, we would just you could point out all the people that, like, thought they were the coolest guy there trying to be the coolest guy there, you know? And, again, the music was still really good, but there were, it was just, like, I, I appreciated the vibe so much of, like... It's funny, everything I was, like, afraid of about the crowd um, was actually what I ended up really coming to appreciate. And so I started kind of, like... It was just, a, you know, I started going to those shows, you know... Um, Every, I would see them. there. I mean, I guess I would see all the bands every time I could in New Brunswick, but including, yeah. including them, you know. So,
1: you know, um, let's kind of skip back to Power Move here. Sure. And yeah. focus in. You, you've you already circled around and given us a good entry point. You could tell that things were getting a little more serious. They have an offer from Gurn. They have... Yeah, the, that was the Urgs. Oh, that's the Ergs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, for okay. screaming females, then, w- with Power Move, what what was it that was going on that made you realize, hey, this ha- this is something that's significant. This is something where we're going to have to step our game up. Tell us about that era in general and, like, what was going on with the band to the best of your, your memory.
2: So the, the things going on were, one, they had released two albums already. Power Move was their third album. And again, we're talking about this world where the average life cycle of any band that I could like name at the time that wasn't like a quote unquote like real band or well-established band was like they would break up on their full length. You know, maybe they would have like two full lengths and break up on the second full length, you know, if they started with a full length or something, you know. It was just like they had two albums and they felt like they were coming on this third and then the third album they were playing all these songs off it live and the songs were really really good like they had hits like there was like they had like songs on their records that were like hits where i was like this song is objectively a really good song you know um and i could play this for some stranger and i feel like they would appreciate it um and they felt like they were a band that could play with anyone. They could totally play hardcore shows, but they could also yep. play with a band like, you know, Vicious when they came through, or they could play, they could play with Hunchback or they could play with right. Vivian girls. Like they could, but they could also play with like, you know, trash talk or something like you could, they could just play with whoever was hap- what, what they could play with like whatever was happening at the time. Cause they were just like a DIY philosophy. Um, and just playing really interesting, weird music. For sure. Um, and so it's funny like i it wasn't this thing where i was like i need to sign them because they're going to be the biggest band in the entire world it was more just like this is the best band in new brunswick right now i want to work with them just like i wanted to work with the urgs and mm-hmm. you know the generics and whoever was like i felt like was the best band in new brunswick at the time like it wasn't even so much this sense of like they're they going to conquer the world it was like i really want to work with this band and the only way that i think i can do it is like they want to conquer the world and I need to like help them do that. But I was still just content, at least at the time, like just, I just wanted to work with them. But I was like, look, if you want to conquer the world, I may as well help you do it, you know, instead yeah. of under the label, and then we can do it here. But yeah, the nice. truth is like, I would have been just as happy if they just wanted to stick around playing New Brunswick. <laughs> um, <laughs> would have such a good, they were just such a good band and they had like hits. They had like these songs that were just like, I was like, I want to be the one that puts this song out, you know? Um, and I think that's what it was. I was just like, I could, and I, and I, I mean, I I guess I'm being a little facetious. Like I I really could see a lot of potential in them. I think it was because they had these hit songs. They just had great, great songs. Um, and they had this work ethic where again, I was like, you know what? If I give this my all, I'm not going to, be disappointed, like I'm giving it my all and they're not doing anything. Um, you, you know, right. from a label perspective,
1: this is a weird thing, but I've put out some records in my time and I've worked at different levels of it and all that. But some bands <clears throat> can succeed as a touring act, at least to a certain level, based purely on uh, work ethic and how much sweat equity they put in. But when you work with a band, and I luckily, you know, I I feel like I haven't done that very much. Most of the bands I've worked with, I've at least felt invested and really appreciated the music they were creating, and and felt like wow, this is this is valuable, this is valid, this is good. But but you know, there have been a few bands I've seen or worked with even kind of loosely, and it's been like, <clears throat> uh, you know, you work really hard, and that's going to take you far enough, and like you you've put the go in. But I I also think. You got to have tracks.
2: Yep. Yeah. You know,
1: you got to have songs that people respond to and you know, it honestly doesn't matter whether it's 500 cap room, a VFW hall, a bar or a basement. Music is going to get people to respond when you have that kind of power. And I mean, you know, when we talk about power move on varying levels, the first song on the album that's just a that's a hit
2: that's a track no that, no that was a song that bell was that was a song that like and when i heard it, i was like oh my god i want to put out this next record they had like a they wrote like a hit song yeah. you know <laughs> um and that was obviously our choice you know we were it was like when we started agreeing there was no like what should we use for that first song we you know right you, you know it was like that's gonna be bell like that's the one that we're gonna start you know, telling people to like, listen to like, I guess like a quote unquote, I don't know if we use the word singles where we use it now. So I can't remember what we would have called it, but like, sure. The the MP3 we're going to put on our website. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) This is the lead. This is, this is, this is, uh, we're, we're putting
2: our best foot forward and it's this song. There was no, there wasn't like, I wonder what it should be. Yeah. They had this like hits on. And I was like, man, I want to be the one that works for them on it. You know? And so, yeah, exactly. They just had tracks.
0: Did you have any involvement in the uh, the recording process at all? Or was it kind of, did you hear it, you know, when it all finished up um, for the first time? Yeah,
2: topic? no, I mean, I, my involvement in stuff like that is it's always like very hand, like unless a band wants me to kind of actually come in and be a producer, they really want me, my input in there. I, I try to be very hands off and let, artists figured it out so i mean my involvement i, I hung around you know i i, I i've been friends with eric who recorded it and stuff and i i um enjoy like spending time there but it was sort of like their decisions you know we discussed it like i think well, i think recording at hunt was actually just like a foregone conclusion mm-hmm. yeah we would discuss a lot of things at end involving like art and everything and layout but I, ultimately i leave it up to artists and let you know um i think that's what what makes they're, they're good artists it's like i'm that's quite literally what they are so why am i gonna like come you in know, for sure, for sure. so I'm, it's more helping them like here's some ideas here's some stuff to work with but they had they had a lot of that figured out already um
0: yeah i imagine they did i i, I just meant you know it seems like this was you know you were planning on level leveling up, you know, as they were leveling up, right. You right. know, like you were, you wanted to match that energy. So I was just curious, like how, not, not necessarily like, you know, sitting in the recording studio, you know, giving <laughs> notes, but like, but like, you know, Let's do that one again, guys, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but more just like how, uh, it seems like there must've, you must've felt just felt personal pressure, you know, to, to, to make sure that you know things were I think cool. so
2: I think there was this sense that there was this sense of like mm-hmm. is this gonna come out as good as I'm hearing in my head you know like I've heard them play these songs a bunch now what are they gonna sound like recorded are they gonna be good Are these gonna be something I'm embarrassed to play for people or are they, even though I like it did you know and but at the same time it was like this trust it was again it was like this is what they do they're a really good band they'll think they'll record it well um you know, I went to the studio as much as they let me. I can't remember how many days I was there or not, you know, but sure, I was like, sure. only when to come by. You know, they, they recorded in Milltown, and I was just like, or maybe Millstone, I forget, one of the two of those. Yeah, right Hunt. there. <laughs> um, yeah, they're right near each other. Like, yeah, I think, I forget if it was Millstone T- or Milltown, but it recorded at Hunt, the old Hunt studio. Um, and yeah, I just remember being really excited. and it, They spent like... Five, I don't remember how many days they spent. They would definitely know, but it, it felt like also like most of the records we'd made by then were in this like three day process where you'd show up on a Friday, usually at Chris Pierce's house, yep. <laughs> you know, record the whole familiar. Saturday and then spend Sunday mixing it. And then you would leave with a finished record. And this was like, I don't know, maybe they spent like a week. I don't know. I don't, and I, I mean, Marissa worked at the studio as an intern. And so I feel like they probably actually spent like more time even than like going back. And, but I just was like, Wow, they were spending like a ton of time, and this is like a real rock band, like yeah, everything. So it did. It felt like they were giving that attention, and um, and yeah. So,
1: so I wanted to ask, based on kind of what you just said there, um, you had a familiarity with these songs before they recorded the record. Do you think? And I mean, I have a lean here because one of the things that I think jumps out about Power Move is that. There's a lot of energy on that record, and do you think they were able to capture that with the recording? Was there anything that you're like that surprised you? Either you know, like oh, you know, like uh, probably largely positive, but like, do you feel as though what you remembered, the feeling you had when you heard it off the the recording, you're like, well, yeah, you got it.
2: Um, I mean, I remember it sounding fantastic at the time. I, I, yeah. I remember not really. I'm never I'm never very critical of things once the artist turns them in. That's part of my like philosophy towards running a label again is like which,
1: which is a good thing honestly. You know,
2: I hope it is. Yeah, I mean I think it's like I said it's gotten me pretty far and artists seem to like working with me but I, it's it's again it's like my feedback to artists like I still it's not I'm not it's not like I don't talk to them. I talk to them a lot about making records. But a lot of what we talk about is like is this the record that you wanted to make? Yes. So Not like, is this the record I wanted you to make? Is this yep. how I get the sound? But sometimes they'll, you know, sometimes they'll complain. You know what? I wish I had more time. I wish we had done yep. this. This is, you know, that's the kind of thing we can discuss. Like, is this the record you wanted to make? Um, is sort of the, question that you know because they'll always ask me do you like it I'm like, of course i like it this is right re- it's the record you want to make right like of course then of course i like it well so um,
1: here's here's my my parse then for there because yeah. i like that um and you don't have to get specific this is our, our don giovanni uh no i don't keep i, I tell all i don't do it good, you're good. Like let's keep you know we can leave names out because i i don't feel fair doing this but i've worked with bands who immediately following the recording and this is one of the saddest it's only happened a couple times immediately following recording they finish they get the the master back to get it back they're like hey we don't like this record has that ever happened to you
2: oh yeah many i mean many times how do you deal with that what have you done um in one case yeah. i they let them re-record the entire record yep. um we've had records re-recorded though entirely um but there's a record. This is an early record. You guys don't know, don't might not realize this. But the sure. the, the Dustheads full length was recorded twice. The version on the CD uh, collection is not the same as the version on the vinyl. Um, really they re- interesting. They re-recorded re- the entire thing. They hated the first re- and they should have hated the first recording. It wasn't very good.
1: Um, <laughs> well, but, and that's that's yeah. sort of one of those things because as we're talking, like, like I I, I am also a huge believer, like. I can have my personal feelings. And if somebody wants my criticism, I'm happy to offer them. But if what you went into the studio as the artist and what you came out with was what you intended and what you want, that's what it should be. Like, you know, that's, that's, there's, you know, and, and people can feel ways about that, but you made what you wanted to make. Fantastic. That's... Here we are. This is the process.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you, the answer is I think usually these problems that artists have when they come out and they don't like something, it's they're not like tear down, like full tear downs. Yep. They're like, you know what? I, it's like, and it's like, you know what? Let's just spend a couple hundred dollars, go back and fix the book, or go back and fix it. Is it just like, you know, the dustheads one was also something where it was just like they like they hated the whole thing and they because you know and they were like I want to re record and they re recording sounded so much better and it, it was um and it wasn't like an expensive re recording or anything either it was just right like, and so but usually it's like you know what let's just taper one more day let's just go back and remix it let's have a different person a lot of these things it's like mixing is where they had issues it's things that can be fixed but yeah it, hap- it happens actually probably more often than you think. And it's not a it it um and again I feel like that's what I'm that's what I try to be there for is you know a solution and the solution doesn't always involve money because money's you know we the labels still very much run on a budget
1: <laughs> yes
2: um, and but there is still like these like solutions like what can we do what can we do about this if you're not happy with it um and you know I I hope I hope I know all the answers to these questions because I, I do try to make I I want to create an environment where if you're an artist you don't mind telling me that you're not happy about about something you know um so i hope i know when artists aren't happy with one of their records because then it's like maybe there's a chance we can do something about it there isn't always sometimes it's sometimes it's just like look there's nothing we can do about i can do about this that's right do about this um but it it just depends
1: yeah no i agree um you know uh we didn't ask this but Based on what you know, were there experience? How significantly do you think Power Move affected, you know, for lack of a better term, their career, the 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 trajectory of Screaming Females?
2: Well, it was their first record to like really put them on the. For most people, that's their first you know record on the map. Um, which again, I'm proud of feeling that way because I think we did all these things for the record. Like I said, like press and radio and you know, we had like a radio version. We had like a radio promo of this record things. That's funny. Cause it was like this blip where we don't do that. Now we, we would didn't do it before because now it sense for different reasons, but that would like actually made sense to make like 500, you know, different version C's to send to like radio and press, you yeah. know, yeah. now you wouldn't do, now you would do it It'd all be digital. Um, so we, it like, it really did like put it on the map in a lot of ways. Um, They started getting, you know, they got like New York Times for talking about screaming females. We had, we had this reporter like come to New Brunswick to stay with me, like he stayed overnight at my shitty place in Edison to just like come to a screaming female show and like cover them, like for two days straight, and like write about them for Spin. Um, Wow, and things like that, like which is funny because that just doesn't happen anymore, you know, like. Um. And he, he's not a music journalist anymore either. Like, He's Brian Rafferty, and he like writes – I still keep in touch with him. He writes books sure. and stuff. And he writes about film mostly. Um, really nice guy. But there used to be enough money that you could be a music journalist. <laughs> yeah. <you> know, <laughs> before times. Yeah. It was like this interesting time. So it was like – we were like, wow, like this is amazing. There's like a reporter coming out to New Brunswick to cover <laughs> Screaming Females. You know, like um, – and so, yeah, it was, like, a, probably a huge deal, and it, and it made the next record even easier. I think the next record got even more attention, and the one after that got even more. Then they went to record with Steve Albini. for the one. It's, like, things just kind of kept <coughs> kept moving forward. Each record, we get together, and we sort of talk about, like, how can we move things forward? What can we do differently, you know? Um, and we do. We kind of go into each record actively. Like, the last record, we had a billboard in Philadelphia for the record. You know, there's yeah. all we where it's like, what can we do that is different that we've never done? And it gets harder with each record. Like I said, we're always kind of challenging ourselves. Like, I'm not sure what the plan will be for the next record um, for their and/or us, like my and/or their. And like, they spent like a ton of time in the studio, you know, where they went to like record with a metal producer and right. they to, like 10 days in the studio, you know, or maybe more. They might spend two weeks, I don't know, in the studio. Like, um, and so it is, it's always this question of like, upping the ante and trying to just like do things like that with each other. And so I don't know what's next. Um,
0: would you ever have imagined 11 years ago that, you know, that record would have taken you and them on that kind of journey? It's pretty amazing.
2: No, I, I mean, I really, I really wouldn't. Um, and there's been a few records like that from that, you know, I, I this Laura Stevenson record we're reissuing too. We just we re- got it remastered like Abbey Road Studios, <laughs> like for Half Speed. You know, I never thought I'd be, and I'm not even a Beatles fan. I just never thought I'd be working on <laughs> a record at like the most famous, like, expensive recording studio in the world on a reissue of a you know ten year old record. And it's like, and the plan is we'll do similar things like that for screen females. So they're just not ready yeah. to do that yet. Um, That's cool. And it's like it's kind of a it is. It's been a crazy, amazing journey. Okay, I mean,
1: this connects long-term, and I mean, we've talked about a lot of the direct things and some of the way it's changed. How did this impact Don Giovanni as a label going out to the world? Like, like, do you think this is, you know, we talked about the Ergs already, and I think they certainly helped put Don Giovanni on the map. I know for me, when Power Move came out, I saw it everywhere. You know, like, like I don't think I've ever talked to you about this or even mentioned it. You know, we've talked a few times, but like the way you guys promoted this record was extensive, thorough, and really well done. Um, especially at a time when when it was really hit or miss on that kind of thing uh, with with records of the silk. How did this impact the label and the business you were doing and how you were doing business from there?
2: Well, I'm glad you you said what you just said, because I think part of that was actually the point. It was this sense of like, if we can push this record really hard enough, it'll kind of pay off more than just for this record. But like the other things we do now, it'll solidify like Don Giovanni as a label that people might want to check out the next record, you know? Um, And so I think it had a huge impact in that way. Like, I think this was a lot of people's first entry point outside of like the maximum rock and roll and razor cake scene where the herbs were huge. Right. Um, but this was like spin magazine back when people read it or like, mm-hmm. you know, things like that or, um, New York times or we were just getting attention and press. And again, yeah, I would, I, I remember like, like, um, I would go to Princeton Record Exchange. I've been going to Princeton Record Exchange for like twenty years, maybe more. Right, <laughs> um, like every week. Even when I didn't live here, I would like find a way to get there at least once a month. <laughs> it was crazy for like years, um, and I would kind of beg them to like consign my records, you know, like or or maybe they'd buy them wholesale. Usually, eventually, after I did enough, they would at least buy them wholesale. And then Power Move, I remember. I went there and they like had it. I was like, you guys have like, you guys have this, like you already, it was like just out like, like with their new releases. Um, And it was like, wow, it was, it was, it was a big deal for me too. It was like just getting the label attention in all these places, people that were like, they saw it as the kind of record they had to actually order from their distributor because it was getting enough press as opposed to like, the guy coming in and hoping they take some of then coming to check on it. And they sold them, you know, and curmudgeon was still around. I remember too, this was like near the, near oh, the yeah. end. Oh yeah,
1: that's right. But I
2: remember Bill telling me that, he, that we were selling more records than like, than, um, Chunksa and Chunksa oh, was wow. like, a perennial big New Jersey label wise. Like, and I think it was, they were just sell like tons of copies of like hopeless romantic and, you mm-hmm. know, like, yeah, the bouncing, bouncing souls back catalog. Yeah, there tons of those records always, and that was like, and it was like, yeah, you guys are actually selling even more than those. I was like, really? Like, holy shit! Like, that's what it, was. it was like it meant a lot of people were just like um, finding the label through that, and it, and it led directly. I, I we just did this long podcast series on Laura Stevenson, so it's still fresh on my mind. On mm-hmm. um, sit resist and power move factored into that story a lot because it was that was sort of the. Way when I went to Laura and it was like Laura, like you need a real label. Look what we did for Power Move, you know, and it, mm-hmm. yeah. it and recorded at Hunt Studio because Shereen was recorded there, and we hired some of the same people that worked on Power Move, and it was like, wow, now we almost have like a system for how the label can can do stuff, you know. um And it was the same Laura too has an incredible work ethic, and it's like I think when you see someone with a strong work ethic, making good songs, um, a lot of people have one or the other, but when you see mm-hmm. both it's like, damn, man, this is something that I want to work hard. It makes you want to work hard, you know, Yeah. with them. And so we had a huge impact on how we do things.
0: True. For sure. So I think I have one or two more questions for you. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. the next one is, I know it's going to be tough, because I know, you know, the screaming females are kind of, you know, you talked about them, like you've had, you know, this really long relationship and all of this, where does this record fall for you in terms of, you know, your favorite screaming females material personally, I know that it obviously has, you know uh, like you have a special relationship with this record because of the impact it had on the label um, and also the band. But, you know, I guess in your like kind of hierarchy of screaming females, Material. Where does this Where does this fall for you, or you know, what does it mean to you? I guess that's a great
2: question. I, and it, I mean, it means a ton to me for a few reasons. Like, I mean, and I'm not just saying this. Like, I'm, every band and every artist on the label really is like a friend at some level. Like, it's just the way I run the label. I'm not really signing strangers. I'm like usually know people first. So it's like I I just text and hang out with like all the artists on the label. Like at some level.
1: But, an, an important way to, yeah. to, to run an independent label. I think if you're not Absolutely. doing that, you're doing something wrong.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important. Like, is it, I mean, it's because they're all part of the same kind of scene and community. So we're just usually texting about the same type of things. Mm-hmm. But Screaming Females, I have just an even – they're like my best friends. You know, like outside of, no. outside of the label. I don't mean in the label. It's like outside of the label. Like I, I, I hung out with Marissa today. I, I hang out with Marissa. She's like every day. You know, yeah. I can't. Literally, like I, you know, and Jarrett does work at my on my mom's house for her and stuff like that, and it's like they're like, so I mean, and that all started here. So they're they're really special, like people to me. Um, but that makes the record so much harder to even think about as just like music. You know, it's like like when I, I have a, I have a five and a half year old. Like when she makes art, every piece of art she makes is like the most incredible thing I've ever seen. You know. <laughs> not I, have being, you, have you been able to throw any of it away yet Not yet and I keep being like at some point I'm going to have to throw this away but I I I, I have several boxes of my 6-year-old's <laughs> art
1: and it is it's uh it's not it's excruciating
2: Yeah I just I know I'm like I can't throw it away but I'm also <laughs> like and sometimes she's just gluing like you know Like a puffy thing to an old paper towel roll, or and I'm like, I feel and drawing eyes on, and I'm like, I can't get rid of even this, you know. know. (laughs) So, but the point is that actually is then you understand as well as I do. That's what these streaming females records are like to me at this at this level where I'm like, these people that I love made this thing. Um. So what's actually weird is then what that weirdly means for me. Is like my favorite records personally are kind of the ones they made before I started working with them. Which oh, are, okay. Yeah, probably objectively, they're like worst <laughs> records in a lot of ways. Sure, sure, sure. They, like, they one they self recorded one they recorded with, with buckets, but intentionally did nothing. They were just like record us live. Like, they were just like, just do like a flat recording. And yet, I find those two to be so endearing and I listen to them all the time um and i think and again we actually eventually like took them over we pressed them now but and we and we have for since almost power move when we start with dg31 was baby teeth Mm -hmm. and i think dg37 was the tv reissue i'm trying to recall um but and i'm not i do not have these in front of me um Mm so i'm trying to recall but um but it's like I find those ones really special in this way where it's like before I even was working with them, I, I, go, I just takes me back to these like New Brunswick shows. But then each record they turn in, I listen to like obsessively, you know, in this other way where I'm like in awe of it. Um, but so Power Move is always going to be special too because it was like this first thing that was like mine – Mm-hmm. Um, like I worked with them on this record. These are my streaming female songs, you know, <laughs> like, right. my, you know what I mean when I say mine, of course, like, yeah. not mine, but it was like the sense of like, this is really special. Um, but for me, I actually get this, get this question a lot about like picking my favorite streaming females record. And so for me though, from when I met them from before power move, I was like, you guys have to make a live record. Like you're the kind of band that mm-hmm. should make a live record. Um, And they were like, that's ridiculous. We don't want to do it. And I was begging them to do that for years. And after knowing them for about maybe six, six years, um, it's the same thing. It was a pitch. I was like, what if instead of just making a live record, we hire Steve Albini and we spend two days at Maxwell's making like a live album. Um, And that piqued their interest. And then, Maxwell's closed, and so we asked Steve where we could do it in Chicago, and he suggested the Hideout, which was a Chicago, which is Chicago's version of Maxwell's. Yeah, (laughs) Um, and so live with the Hideout is going to be a really special record for me always because it documents this thing that I always was like trying to document, and it was a real that was a big that was like this record I was like this is my idea, you know. I want to see this happen. I've been trying to do that for years. And I think they're just a fantastic live band. And that's just a great document. I want them Now I'm trying to get them to make another live record and it's like pulling teeth all over again. Um, <laughs> I need to figure out an angle to get them to now that's been so many years make another one. Um, so that's a special one for me, for sure. The live record, but it's funny. They're special. Each one has their own things. I like think about.
1: Yeah. This was the uh, pick your child. Uh, question. So you you did very well. You yeah, navigated you well. it well, and I actually yeah. usually you. when people are asked that kind of question, it can feel. But you you answered it with such sincerity, and and you gave an answer which is always the big one. So thank you so much. Of course, yeah. Um, Pete. What else do you have on this? Do we got any other deep, deep thoughts here? Because I have some some random questions for us to kind of end with, just to to lighten the mood, loosen it up. Because I think we're going to have to have Joe back on. I have a feeling we're going to end up doing quite a few uh, releases that he's been involved in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll keep it short. But um, the one thing that came to my mind... So, Joe, one of the things we talked about in the the episode was... You know how we would even classify Screaming Females? We talked about whether they're a punk band or not. Yeah. How would you describe yeah. Screaming Females punk. for someone who has like no affiliation with punk hardcore? You know any of the things that we all grew up, you know, familiar with?
2: I I actually think that's an easy question. I would just I've always said they were a punk band. From I, I think every band I work with is actually a punk band. Like um, and I'm not just I don't mean like in a um every band's got a little punk. It's like I I. Sure. Think the label still really only works with bands that operate like punk bands. Like, I I don't know. um, Some of them might not sound like conventionally punk, but it's like, they all operate on a very serious punk, you know, ethos, whether it's like someone like May who does more mother or Stevenson is making folky stuff or Nango is doing Samus or streaming females. Like they all are actually like way, they're way more punk operating than a lot of bands that might like sound ostensibly more punk. And then they actually have, like, a lot of infrastructure and, you know, management and things like that behind them. And so Screaming Females are very much a punk band.
0: Sure. Cool. Cool. Bob, what do you got? Okay.
1: So, Joe, I think this is what we're going to do when we do these bonus episodes. (laughs) Um, Since we started, I thought of 10 random questions.
2: Oh boy. Lightning, Lightning round.
1: round. Lightning round. And they're not, they're nothing, nothing heavy, but you know, they might, you know, some might go quick, some might go a little long. But um, I'm going to ask you these questions. Pete, you were also on the docket today, but in the future, me and you will make these <laughs> questions together. Okay.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay. Joe, for the record, I haven't heard these. No, okay. this is
1: the, I made these up as we were sitting here. Um, all right. And Joe, you go first. Pete, you go second. Apple, banana, or orange? Pick one. Uh, ah, orange. Banana. Okay. Mountains or beach and why? Mountains or beach
2: and why? Mountains, because you're more likely to die on the mountains. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Beach, because uh, I love swimming in the ocean, and I don't know. I think it's fun. Okay. Okay. Here's From where we get a little bit That would be just blasphemy. I know it would be blasphemy. Move blasphemy. to Morris yeah, County.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Tell me one good thing about Trenton.
2: Well, Trent makes in the world takes. Ah, oh, that's true. But I also love, I love Trenton. I'm like, I mean, and you count Hamilton and you count the Metro Trenton, like, Hamilton. yeah,
1: let's count Metro Trenton because I no, do. That's Hamilton, that's Hamilton's, that's Hamilton's
2: that's got some Hamilton. redeeming qualities you got amc hamilton you got red white and blue and ewing or the hamilton. red white and blue and ewing is incredible worth yeah, the drive a, from the shore but also yeah Ham, I, I love trenton trenton and also trenton makes the world takes
1: uh trenton makes the world takes both the saying and the sign across the bridge yes, fantastic both, and, and
2: yeah and the mouthpiece uh album where photos. that's <laughs> right the face tomorrow record <laughs> pete
1: tell me one good thing about trenton
0: joe joe got everything i have nothing to add <laughs> yeah
1: I think ah. I did. I think I did the complete Trenton. Yeah. It really did. Um, oh, you know what? They
0: actually have some good
1: pizza places out there. And I won't reveal the names, but there's – I believe they do a good mustard pie at one of those spots, which mustard sounds weird pie. but is excellent.
2: Oh, I believe, I believe
0: it. Okay. Is leading it like mu- in, mustard with the cheese?
1: Yeah, which sounds crazy, but Pete Wild. will go soon, okay? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Joe, meet up with us. Um, I live very close. Great. What is the last thing you ate?
2: Um, I it just I was at Wawa before this. I had like a peach iced tea and some chips and a cookie. It was really gross. It's really gross. I wish you didn't ask me that, Pete.
0: <laughs> My wife made some homemade ramen. It was delicious.
2: Oh, wow! Yeah, Pete won
1: that round. Yeah. Um, if you had a pet bird, what would its name be?
2: Peter for Peter Stanfield because he has uh, he had two pet uh, parrots.
1: All right i'm gonna Pete. name it frank frank
0: yeah frank the bird
1: uh strangely enough a friend of mine grady uh and his mom just got a new pet pig who is named frank
0: yeah i think frank is like a perfect animal name like animal name yeah okay yeah. um
1: what color is your bedroom painted
2: White, but well, off-white, off-white. Okay. I have a lot of art. I ke- I'm a more of an art person than a wall painting mm-hmm. person.
1: Ooh, okay. I'm going to put a pin in that and ask something. But Pete, what color is your bedroom painted?
0: White, but I, I don't even know if it's off-white or white. Yeah. It's, it's definitely white.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the white that my entire house is painted, which is quite white inside, is actually like called something like off-gray but it's as yeah, white exactly. as
2: it's as white as white can be. So that might, uh, be the, that might be the color of my whole house actually also. I haven't painted the walls yet and I feel like it is that off gray that's basically just white.
1: Yeah. Okay, so what is what how many how much art do you have hanging in your bedroom?
2: In the bedroom I have two large pieces, but in, I have a lot of art in my house. I'm a, a art collector, I guess. That sounds really pretentious. I yeah. have a lot of
1: art. You'd have art. Art art can mean a lot of things. So um, I'm curious about. Okay, this is for a future episode. I'm, I got to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> if you retire, where would you like to live?
2: It's a really good question. Harvey wants to just say Jersey Shore, hmm. but I've been you're just pandering to, to us at that point. I know. Well, I've been getting into like lakes lately because I was living in Michigan. I was really liking lake life, it's different than shore life. It like, is. Finger legs? maybe finger legs
0: is a good oh, medium. That's a really
2: that's a good
1: medium. Okay, yeah, good answer. Uh, Pete, if you retire, where would you like to live?
0: Um, I'm gonna stick with the Jersey Shore. Fuck it. <laughs> <Just> stay, <laughs> I'm to, staying here. I'm not moving.
1: Love to hear it. All right. Um, last record you listened to, front to back.
2: Oh God, that's gonna i would about to get up and check. Please yeah, that's do. Tough.
1: Yeah, we're getting live, Pete. While he's doing that, what's your answer?
0: Um. I listened to the Chills album, Soft Bomb. Oh, okay. While we were having dinner.
2: I listened to Don Edwards, Live at the White Elephant. You'll have to look it up.
1: (laughs) Wow. Okay. I love that. Yep. Okay. Um, We've only got two more. Favorite childhood birthday party memory? And if you didn't have parties, just your favorite childhood birthday memory.
2: I did have a birthday party, and I want to say sixth or seventh grade where we all played like we played like a giant game of magic the gathering like we sat and played like a 12 player like in a circle game of magic the gathering we did i did it at the comic shop
1: oh that sounds awesome
2: wow it was it was uh also probably really pathetic but it was awesome
1: (laughs) i think it's probably peak and and given your age relative to that um, you probably were dealing with some pretty what would now be expensive uh, cards. So
2: I've learned. I've learned that. I've learned that I was dealing with some extremely expensive cards that I wish I should have saved. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't um, throw them away, but I, I remember. I, I, I do remember. I sold them to some kid at school, and he gave me like thirty bucks, and yeah. I'm like, "Holy shit, $30. Bucks.
0: <laughs> I'm you rich!" Know. Yeah, that was big money at the time. Yeah, probably
2: three thousand dollars worth of cards. <laughs> Very likely, Pete. Favorite br-
1: childhood birthday memory.
0: I don't remember how old I was. It was probably fifth or sixth grade, but there was a girl that I had a crush on, and it turned out she had a crush on me. And we, it was, it's, it kind of seems like the, 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 you know, kind of courting that you talked about, Joe, where like Fid was, you know, making <laughs> yeah, intro and making. Talking to the other person and match. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was going on with my friend, and somehow I ended up on the phone with her, and she was like, "I like you too." So it was like this very Whoa. like. Innocent, like we hadn't even talked to each other in person, really, you know. But we were t- having a conversation on the phone, and it was like after my birthday party, so I was psyched. <laughs> Look at you, and then Mr. like, and then, like nothing came of it, you know, because I was like because too you were in fifth grade, even, yeah, because yeah, I was too nervous to even talk to her in person. Yeah. So. Childhood there romance.
1: We need we need some <laughs> more uh, like the the complexities of it all. It's like that. probably It was so profound that today we're talking about it. But in reality, like probably eight months later, you didn't. Neither of you existed in the same world as the other. You know what I mean?
0: Hundred percent. Yeah.
1: All right. The final question: weirdest travel story. Joe, kick us off.
2: I don't travel that much, so I guess. Well, what do you count as like a travel story?
1: Uh, The uh, as I say, the question is plain, so that could mean. A car ride that's two hours, or flying to
2: Zimbabwe, whatever, whatever yeah, it would I, be. I travel all the time in the country. I put like seventy thousand miles a year on my car. Um, Very good. But it, but it, just thinking of like a weird. So I go. I, I guess I stop at all kinds of weird places. I'm trying to think of weird because there are stops.
1: Here, I'll, I'll give a good one. When yeah. I was driving, I just did a road trip with my family to Yellowstone. On the way back, we stopped in Denver. Saw uh, my my wife's cousin and had a nice time in denver but then it was like okay we gotta really start driving so we're driving 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 get about halfway through kansas that night it's like 11 o'clock at night stop fill the tank at you know middle of nowhere russell kansas actually rest area um and uh amanda is shuffling things around in the back of the vehicle and i hear her go oh my god i hear a car screeching um while we're at the gas pump, uh, uh, like late '80s, early '90s Jeep Red Jeep Wrangler screeches by us, misses hitting the pump by about a foot. Front axle is smashed in half. Um, pulls the e brake so he doesn't run through the gas station. Holy crap! Hops out of the car, is screaming, "Somebody help me! Help me!" He's got a gun. To which the point we're like, "Who's got a gun?" Until the white pickup truck lifted large white pickup truck pulls up beside it like out of nowhere and a large man hops out of said truck he did not have a gun that i saw but he did chase the man into the store and um that's how i almost died in the middle of kansas uh <laughs> Like a month and a half ago, so and uh, that
2: story just count for both me and Pete.
0: Yeah, no, that's no, part.
1: that's an example. I want you guys, to, and you know, like yo. Sometimes a weird story is, you know, I, I was at this re- this truck stop and somebody was wearing this weird shirt, and then they farted. I don't know, you know.
2: I mean, I saw a UFO once. I guess where? <laughs> it's in Nebraska, of all places. Okay, and I've, been to, I've been to Roswell. Um, but this, I was driving in Nebraska and I, I uh, it was, I, I, I've had multiple encounters actually. This, this might be a whole nother podcast. I think it I is, know. but let's
0: tease yeah, this, it a little bit. A Tell us about podcast.
2: the Nebraska UFO.
0: It was like some
2: fire in the sky shit. Like I wasn't sure if it was going to come and come and, um, come and scoop me out. You know?
1: <laughs> okay. Then to follow up on that, when you were in Roswell, did you spend a significant amount of time there?
2: I did. I went on a road trip with my brother because he wanted to bring a car to California. So oh, I said yeah. I would drive out with him and fly back, but only if we went through Roswell. <laughs> um, and he was like, come on, like there's way better places to stop. And I was like, nah, it's an only condition. He, he's not wrong, but yeah, continue. Oh yeah. It was horrible. <laughs> we went to Roswell and it was just like a regular, there was just like a bank of America and a like, Burger
1: King with an alien painted in front of it. Yeah,
2: exactly right. There was like some aliens painted on all the things he was so mad. He's probably still mad at me about it.
1: Um, <laughs> I, I will say that I've been to two places that were super disappointing. Roswell's the number one with a bullet.
2: Yeah, that's um, pretty I high up there. I mean, to I've too, Michigan, wait, you know? wait, where where is that? Frankenmuth, Michigan. I have not. 365 day a year Christmas town.
0: <laughs> oh, Wow.
2: <laughs> There's a recreation of the chapel where I, – I, by the way, I didn't know there was a the chapel where Silent Night was first performed. But okay. there's a recreation of it that's 24-7, 365, wow. typing out Silent Night. It's pretty disappointing. Well, I did go to Punxsutawney. Uh Now, it
1: wasn't uh, Groundhog's Day. So, you know, but I would recommend to anybody – don't go to Punxsutawney unless you're going
2: on Groundhog's Day. I So I get gassed there all the time. So I drive between Michigan and and Philly like <laughs> way too many times than you want to know about. Sure, and sure. I, I, I drive right through Punxsutawney. I've gotten gassed there actually at the sheets a bunch. But I've always been like, i got to go here for Groundhog's Day. You, for
1: Groundhog's Day, I, I would still consider it. I went to Gobbler's Knob. Gobbler's Knob in the middle of July. Pretty boring. Uh, do you sure, do, yeah. do you want to know where uh, Punxsutawney Phil lives when it's not Groundhog's Day? A yeah, <laughs> um, where? In a weird, <laughs> let's call it a pen, but really, do you know, um, McDon- think about a McDonald's in the 80s and the ball pit and how oh, it was like oh. in a glass thing and then there's the balls. Well, replace the, the balls with a bunch of like, you know, hamster litter, whatever it is, the, the just crushed up. Hay or whatever. Yep. So he lives in one of those that's probably eight by six with a glass window at at the library in the center of town. That is see, now you're making me want to see
2: that. It's yeah. so sad. It's the saddest
1: thing. Like he might as well live in a hamster cage. Like it's awful. And the town itself was super boring. Had a very uninspiring meal. Um, and walked around and. I guess it's cool that there's oversized groundhog prints that lead to Gobbler Snob, but uh you're kind of making me want to go there. Well, so next I time buy. you're through. <laughs>
0: I can vouch for all of that. I've been to Punxsadani for Groundhog's Day. It was a bucket list trip for me. Oh, I nice. think my wife is probably going to hate me forever because I took her on it. <laughs> I mean, I we had to wake up at like 3 a.m. to go up to Gobbler's Knob and it was definitely yep, like right. minus um, 15 and the Groundhog didn't come out until six. So you just kind of wait around for hours in the cold. It's like, it. it's brutal, dude. It's not as it's not as fun as Groundhog Day made it look, but uh well it was worth it. I I liked it.
2: too. Nothing's fun about that. I mean it's a great movie, but it's if you watch it, it's like existential horror. Oh yeah. For sure.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well and, and from, from so the town in it isn't actually Punxsutawney in the movie. It's somewhere in Indiana, I believe.
0: Yeah, true. It was not filmed in Punxsutawney. So, yeah,
1: and when you get to the town of Punk and I knew that going in, but when you get to the town of Punxsutawney, it's like oh this isn't even this isn't yeah. even 50% as cool as the movie. All right.
0: I will say I got a sick Groundhog Day shirt, though, that has on the back. It has every Groundhog Day and whether or not the Groundhog Saw its shadow.
2: Whoa. Okay. I got go to go. You guys are selling me on. You're not talking <laughs> me out of this at all. <laughs>
0: um, okay. It was so I recommend the, it. it. It might be cold, though. Just bundle up.
1: Yeah. Pete, do you have any other good travel story? That's a pretty good one. Maybe we'll, see, we'll, we'll give you the Punxsutawney as your travel story unless you have something better
0: yeah i don't know i mean that's um, pretty good. I, was, I, was, I was gonna very short version i was just gonna touch on uh since fid came into this conversation yeah. uh it was a tour story maybe i'll tell the whole things at some point but i was on the road with a band called kamikaze which i believe joe was uh don giovanni John, don giovanni two
2: number two yeah.
0: yeah um we were staying in akron ohio and i at one point I walked into the house and I was like, this looks like the hallway from the shining. Um, and then I woke up the next morning and Fid was missing and we couldn't find him. And this is pre cell phone. So we couldn't just call him. Um, and may we might not have
2: a cell phone still.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he just got one. So it think I think is officially on the internet at this point, but <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But long story short, we found him in a bush near the McDonald's on the highway, which was like three miles away from the house that we were staying at. So oh my God. I'll let you fill in the gaps, you know, in wow. your imagination.
1: <laughs> well, Joe, I want to say big thank you for joining us, uh, yeah. giving us a little extra insight on Power Move and uh, overall just being a great guest. Um,
2: i love you. to come back. I'll talk about any New Jersey album, including my own. Um, Fantastic. There's a really good story about Power Move I want to tell it. I was I was, it never came up. I never found a way to sneak it oh, in. Oh, hey,
1: let's do it. This is the bonus for the people who yeah, stuck who, with I, us through the nonsense.
2: It was for like 2 hours. It's not And by good story. I mean a really stupid story, but it's but it's it's great for a podcast that goes in deep on it. There's a great connection between Power Move and the band Trap Them. The uh, if anyone were even if yep. that band memorable at all. Part of me trying to really impressed streaming females with me being like a real label was they wanted to do a digi pack. And me and Jared looked through samples of like 30, di- I ordered, I got not ordered I had like a pay, but I, I asked icon who was doing our, at the time I was like, can you send me some samples for digi packs? So I was like, send me every different kind you have. And we also looked through, I have an extensive CD collection, like a, an extensive CD collection. And so we also looked through a lot of those um, and then the sam- they sent me a sample for a trap them album uh, called like Seizures and Barren Praise. Yeah, I still never heard, but <laughs> the Digipack is incredible. Um, and we so and it was like, ended up being a custom like ended up being a custom Digipack. And it, was, it wasn't like they were like, oh, we, we trapped them. made those like custom. We, we, it was, so it's like, I guess we have to make a custom size. And it's like, if you look at the original pressing of power moves, CDs, um, there are these, and there are these weird, it's like a square. So it's more like an album than, than a, than a rectangle, which most CDs are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also, we looked at, there was a Vic chestnut album we used for inspiration called, um, not skitter on takeoff, the one before that, um, Big uh, Chestnut's album from that same year yeah I wish I remembered the name of it I should remember the name of it yeah. when we used that we realized we liked when there was an inner sleeve in it even though so we made these blank there was nothing to put on but we made these blank inner sleeves to put in there to give it a little more thickness and yeah, so, yeah 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 it was inspired by trap them Seizures and barren praise which i've never heard cuz the album came with um it didn't come with a cd inside it was of, just the dust jacket or just, just the, the, the sleeve it. right it was a beautiful it was a beautiful sleeve like uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really was like and we've used that we've since used that on a few other things but then they also because they're custom and then icon folded it then it became a huge pain to make so then when we repressed it we had to we re- reformat it for a more standard acetate
1: that's really funny i see this is the this is the
2: the kind of uh, I know. The level of detail I was hoping to bring to you. And I then love you have it. To more interesting questions. Well, you
1: know what? Next time we're going to do a full breakdown on the, uh, the layouts and the CMYK and all that. Um, and see, yeah. see how we can break it down. But there's, uh, a it. there's a lot of that. All right. So everybody, thank you for joining us, Joe. Obviously thank you for yeah. joining
0: us. Yeah, Joe, thanks for your time. Appreciate
1: it. Take care. Do I just click buy or whatever? No, we'll do it. Hang on. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. It was great. Be in touch.